I'll fucking do it. Oh, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the fucking uh, Weeb Crew podcast. I'm I'm your host and fucking Moomy. Hey. And we're joined today by Study of Swords. Hey, how's it going? I don't, I don't know. Um, this is the hentai episode. There's no way to get around. We're, <laughs> we're talking about hentai. Um, Dive right in. We were supposed to make Dude, a pun not, based on his name. Let's let's put <laughs> a very phallic name. That's right. Well, he's been studying the blade, but today we're studying a very different kind of sword. Your dogs really do not like you today. I don't like them ever. Anyone thinks it's going to be like the goddamn trash taste episode where we just talk about bullshit? No. No. <laughs> this is going to probably be, well, hopefully more interesting. Because, uh, uh, Richard, you came to me with this idea because we were talking about, well, it's like, yeah, you, you're welcome to come on at any time. But I don't know. What, what would you want to talk about? And you're like, yeah, I want to talk about hentai. And I kind of was like caught off guard. I was like, yeah. Fucking all right. Yeah, sure. Cool. Let's let's do it. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're. I know the kind of like stuff you're into, and I don't mean that in a degenerate sense. Uh, but I figured make for an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's like you know, like my my one of my guiding principles of being online is you know never be horny on main. So I can understand why mm-hmm. it would be kind of a shock to be like, this is the guy that wants to talk about animated pornography. Really interesting wow what a, what a shot well tell so i don't know tell us a little bit about yourself for people who might may not be like familiar with you okay. uh, or your content yeah so i so i run my, my name is again richard i run the youtube channel study of swords um it's a sort of general media uh i mean it's mostly japanese uh japanese visual media uh you know critically examining it and looking at kind of exploring different elements of it through i don't know Different lenses, let's say. Different lenses, you know. You, there's some like psychoanalytic stuff. Some, uh, um, so like, like some criti- feminist analysis in there. Criti- crit- you know, critical theory, Marxist, Marxist critical analysis, theory. that kind of stuff. So absolutely. So for those who thought, let that let that automatically like set the tone for what <laughs> we're going to be talking about with this episode. Yeah. Yeah, the, the goal is to make this the driest hentai episode ever. Yeah, there's a no, no, no lubrication here. We're going to sap the fun out of it. <laughs> All right, I want and let them that mental image sink in your head. <laughs> that is, if you're horny at the end of this episode, you're a different kind of level of deranged. <laughs> you're a real freak. <laughs> so, before I started on the uh, the YouTube channel, um, where I was pro- my my primarily facing in terms of interacting with, uh, you know, anime, the anime community or fandom was through panels. So the last couple of years, um, I've been uh, one of the people running the, uh, some of the after dark content at uh, anime North in Toronto. And so that sort of necessitated, it was sort of like, you know, well, we're looking for people to look into the content and I had happened to have a passing interest in it. So I'm like, okay, I can start exploring this a little bit more in depth. So I you know, picked up a, a couple of the books that are out on, on the, um, that are available that talk about, of course, they're academic text, right? And just kind of built off from there and then ended up where I am kind of now, which is where it's an actual like active topic of research because I, I just find it really, really interesting. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it's also something I can't really talk about on the YouTube for you know, obvious reasons. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen with this. Ep- I mean, we're not showing anything, and yeah. we're just talking about... We're not. I don't even know if we're going to describe much explicitly 
So I think I think we'll be fine. Yeah, that would be fine. But like if because because I don't uh, uh, I don't have a the budget for a camera. I all my all my content right. obviously is like you know voiceover. So be kind of weird to try to do uh, like an, a hentai. Or what do you, what <laughs> what kind of uh, footage are you going to use to talk about it? Well, you can you can use this you know static static uh, poorly edited images. That's what people want. That's what people go to YouTube Just, for, right? That's exactly again back in 2011. <laughs> so then, what what exactly about like you know Edo anime and uh, like Edo manga like interest you like specifically like on like a I guess I guess like a, a quasi academic level like what do you what do you find like interesting about it? So what I what I kind of find interesting is um, eff- effectively um, I for people who have watched my content. Um, I, I like taking media seriously, uh, even, you know, bad media. Like I, so I think quote unquote bad media or absurd media. So so I think that, you know, media as it is, uh, there's always, there's always going to be some interesting aspect of it. I think that's actually something, a perspective Joe and I kind of share. And so the reason that I, I, I guess academically am interested in, uh, in, in hentai or in in the arrow side of things is that it sort of, it represents, um, like a, like a dark spot, um, in fandom, especially at, or at the least mm. in fandom discourse. Cause like you don't really, see, you know, now again, it might, it might be just my, my limited experience, but you don't really see people really talking about it. Um, and again, because it's pornography, right. And por- right. pornography has always had this, uh, a re- you know, a pretty uh, effective negative, a connotation despite the fact that it's consumed by so many people and so like mm-hmm. when when people are talking about hentai and they're kind of like um no no one takes it seriously so as an example after um after an this year so an 2023 um i was in the anime north discord uh, which they have and people were kind of talking about things and like you know joking about hentai and going to the panel and like you know, or, or not going to it and being like, I saw that, but like, you know, it's, it's just people showing up and making jokes and, you know, no one really takes it seriously. And I'm like, right. Well, I, well, yeah. I do. <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with making like, you know, jokes and having of fun course. when talking about hentai, but that, that, that also shouldn't necessarily uh, denigrate or crowd out more serious discussions of it, which is what this podcast episode is going to be about. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of the interesting thing. So one of the, um, Right, I guess one of the important, you know, hentai or arrow scholars in Japan uh, is uh, Akaro Nagayama, and uh, they they published the book uh, Erotic Comics in Japan, uh, and that's uh, Galbraith actually was the editor and uh, of the uh, English version uh, when it was released in North America. Okay, this is not the one that was published by Faku. This is the other. Yeah, one. Yeah, so the, the, that one's uh, by Kimi Rido, which is the history of uh, hentai manga. So the, the right, other, yeah. I, and I guess I, I would probably say Nagiyama's text is probably slightly more academic than uh, Rito's. Okay. Uh, even though Rito is like, it's, it's actually, they're both really good texts. Like I would strongly advise if anyone is interested at all um, about the history. Now they're of course focused on the history of, of Ero manga. Uh, but if people are interested yeah. in it, um, the history of hentai from uh, Faku is fairly inexpensive. Or the history of hentai manga, I should say. It's not much. Uh, yeah. I really like the cover of it. Oh Yeah. I actually, I looked. I looked um, up the uh, the artist who did actually have a copy right in front of me. Um, I looked up the, oh. the. I looked up the. I guess the 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 artist who drew it and some of their stuff, and it's like ah, disturbing, but okay. 
<laughs> well, like, so one of the, one of the, I guess, doujinshi they ended up doing was like a um, take on the Super Sentai where like the pink ranger gets corrupted, but there's like this monster that ends up, you know, doing what hentai, hentai monsters do, except um, it's semen ate her ova. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I'll look this up later. Yeah. So it, it, it it's, you know, it's taking notes. <laughs> um, literally, literally sticky notes. But um, so yeah, so sticky notes. <laughs> I can't believe you, that wasn't on purpose. So the goddamn. Um, what I'm getting at, going circling back to the topic at hand. So in that hmm. text, um, uh, Nagayama makes a really good point, which is that it, as it turns out, the only people who seem to take pornography seriously are the people who want to end it, the people who are its opponents and who want to destroy it because they see it as, you know, it's a, it's a drain on society. It's, it's, it's as, as like a threat or like an obscenity, some sort of moral degradation. Yeah, it's, a, it's a symptom of a uh, sick, sick society and sick world. And so the idea that people who want to take it kind of serious, the, the, the idea that people who kind of want to you know, defend it, um, you know, through, through things like freedom of expression or, the idea that um, there's value in people being able to explore the erotic and kind of a, a, a safe, controlled environment should at the very least be taking it as seriously as the people who want it to end. And I think that that was like mm. kind of one of those light, one of those uh, light bulb on moments. So like, yeah, that, that actually makes so much sense. Uh, and I, I love the, the love the quote that's in. So, yeah, I don't know if I can link to these books in the description, but I'm sure you can just type them in and find them. Oh yeah. Well, un- unfortunately erotic comics in Japan is one of those cases I mentioned. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll be in the podcast, but we were in discussion earlier, um, reaching out to academics. And so I had, oh, actually, is it out of print? No, it's incredibly expensive. It's like 160 oh. us because it's oh, an academic book. Right. Yeah. Now, so, um, yeah, I, I ended. We had reached out to Patrick uh, to, to Patrick Galbraith um, to get an art for a, a PDF of an article he had written uh, that was related related to, I guess, the topic because it was actually published in one of the journals of pornography studies. But he had he was kind enough to also like, oh, and by the way, here's a here's a copy of uh, uh, Nagiyama's text because it's related to what you had, you know, your inquiry was about. And I'm like. That's awesome. So like, I already I already had it, of course, but it's still kind of nice. That's really to, cool. Yeah. yeah. Patrick Galbraith is a goat. Cool guy, Patrick Galbraith. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. Should have him on at some point. Uh, so, yeah, I guess it's like kind of like, because I know you also, you know, you've talked about Kill a Kill and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your approach is somewhat similar in that, you know, you talk about you know, fan service and Kill a Kill. You know, it is there for yucks. You know, it is there to be funny. But there is also some like more interesting stuff going on underneath the hood that not a lot of people really examine because it is a very silly show. Th- th- that's right, right? And it's it's still like one of the most popular. Um, as 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 actually a perfect perfect uh, example because if you as an example, if you were to go, if you go into somewhere like Mal and look at the reviews for uh, a lot of the 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 the, the uh, anime titles. Um, You'll see that exactly that, you know, oh, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, there's literally a tag. I'm sure we can get the tags later. That's called just for the plot. Is there? Oh, my. God. Oh, yeah. So so there's this idea already in even, you know, Arrow or Hentai fandom. Um, I'm going to use those words interchangeably that no one takes it seriously. 
It's it's, yeah. simply, it's it's simply a masturbatory aid, and that is the be all and end all of it. And so it's like, well, the animation is not great, uh, the plot makes no sense, but the sequences were very erotic. So if you know if you're looking to you know to to masturbate to this, then uh, you're probably good to go. Uh, seven out of ten. <laughs> And that's like just page after page after page of those reviews. I mean, I'm not going to act like my anime list is like the peak of intellectual analysis when it comes to uh, anime and manga. Um, Because it kind of just sounds like you just described a regular seasonal review as well. (laughs) Yeah, regular seasonal, right? Um, But I do think that is, uh, but I do think that is also just indicative of how people discuss, like there's this meme that goes around where it's like, I don't know. It's like fucking people like discussing some like who is best girl in some fucking anime or whatever. the mm-hmm. fuck. And they're like going at each other's throats. And then it's like discussing hentai and they're all like sitting around like a table, like gentlemen in suits. Uh, like it's like the UN or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, that, that happens. Yeah. Uh, but I don't it's it's one of those things like, well, I guess people are kind of discuss it seriously. And I get. From for what it's worth, I've never seen a very heated discussion among fans of hentai regarding like the quality of something necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, those sorts of discussions, at least more than like you know, just regular anime, uh, tend to be not mm-hmm. as aggressive, at least from what I've seen. But they're also they're also not really going that deep. They are kind of just you know absorbing like well surface level, you know, animation. Uh, what are like the poses uh, and just like how many girls are there uh, mm-hmm. and what kind of content it is. What, you know, what are the tags that it's filling out, which I think those things are important, but like well, you said, they're not the end all be all. No, but this is again. So again, for people who are looking to kind of approach it um, scholastically, academically, like, you know, like, like me as an example, um, hen- uh, hentai or the way that hentai is consumed is probably one of the clearest examples um, of of Azuma's data, database consumption model, hmm. uh, purely even just like a tags, because people for the most part aren't really interested in. Um, I guess you know, as as a, I guess making a broad generalization about you know hen, the average hentai consumer. Um, consumer. Yeah, the the way that they're going about the consumption of the media is effectively you know at this point primarily online, um, and so it's through the tag system and. Yes. All, you know, all the all the you know uh, H sites that are out there have a very elaborate uh, tagging systems, and that's effectively how people find things. And that's exactly how you know Azuma talks about how you know postmodern database consumption works. Um, I mean, he was focused strictly on otaku, but that's actually another really interesting question. Um, so there's a lot of overlap in terms of like otaku and anime and manga studies that you can kind of apply the theory that's being presented uh, and seeing it work in real life. Um, it's just that because the content, uh, is pornography, uh, or, you know, uh, uh, the erotic that it's not, that's sort of the, where it ends. Um, it's, it's yeah. not worth kind of looking at beyond that, but like, it's like, it kind of is. And like, there's other, other ways you can kind of approach it. So the other kind of interesting aspect that I think is, I'm a, a big fan of semiotics and I like when I, a lot of the, the, the videos that I do produce and a lot of the content I make for panels explores, you know, things like semiotic encoding and like media theory and hmm. hentai is one of those mediums that really, really relies on that model because there's an entire, uh, verbal lexicon, not verbal, um, uh, image based lexicon 
that you kind of need to understand to be able to interpret what's going on in a page and, and not just to see what's going on. Cause you can, um, so as an example, one of the panels that I've done the last two years, uh, when I'm talking about this specific element, I'll have like a manga panel up. Um, and it'll have a sequence where you'll have like a, uh, the, 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 so it's a man and a, a man, man and a woman. It'll have like the lady's face in the corner. Um, and you know, it would, um, you're going to need to use your imagination for this viewer, uh, listener. Yeah. So, you know, it'll have like the, the character's disembodied head in the corner of the panel. Um, and then it'll have all the sound effects. Um, mm-hmm. And then it'll have like, you know, the, the uh, a still shot, of, not st- a still image of, you know, the two characters in coitus. Uh, and then it'll have on another panel, like the internal shot, like the internal um, imagery of what's going on in there. The x-ray, right. And so any, most people who are familiar with human anatomy and the way that these sorts of things work would be able to piece together what's going on. So where the interesting part happens is where that translates to something that is erotic and is going to trigger, um, you know, a, uh, an arousal response in the reader. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of interesting that hentai, you know, still being, you know, uh, at least manga is still using the same kind of, you know, visual language that manga uses, but uh, in very interesting ways. And that's kind of one of the really neat things about um, Kimi Rito's book, The History of Hentai Manga, is that instead of going in like uh, a chronological sequence of the history of it, he actually explores different uh, erotic expressions and how those have changed sort of through the publication history. Hmm. Um, So he talks about things like, you know, uh, the the expression of breasts and how they kind of move from the early days of like uh, Gekiga and our Aero Gekiga uh, into like an Ororikon and then into like the contemporary kind of Bishoujo sort of character designs and how that kind of corresponded with other mo- other things that were going on in Japan at the time. Um, you know, there were like specific uh, specific actresses in pornography that were becoming very popular. And so you almost see like a literal um, inflation of breasts, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the course of time, uh, and now it's become its own kind of very specific. Like it's a tag, like you know, giant, giant breasts is its own tag in right of different of varying degrees, different magnitudes. Yeah, exactly, and so like he looks at stuff like that, um, or he looks at things like the sound effects, and the, the sound aspect. I didn't really, I didn't really think too too much about um, until I read another book, um, which. Uh, might want to talk about a bit later, uh, by a gentleman named uh, Ike Exner. Uh, He wrote a book called uh, Comics and the Origin of Manga, uh, a revisionist history of comics in Japan. Or sorry, it's Comics and the Origins of Manga, a revisionist history by Ike Ike Exner. And he explores... um, So currently, the, the model for how sort of manga developed in Japan... I guess it's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, if uh, I promise it's going to it's going to make perhaps some sense. I get, I get. Well, it's kind of kind of hard to disentangle this from Mong, especially in like the early days. So go yeah, off, so, King. So so effectively, um, all almost all the accounts of uh, I guess it maybe tightened a little bit. All the accounts of the history of hentai in Japan go back to inevitably uh, Hokusai. Uh, and, you know, Dream of the Fisherman's Wife slash Girl Diver and, and uh, Octopi. The um, octopus thing, right. Yeah. Or or other, you know, Woodblock, Ukiyo-A 
uh, Okyo E, sorry. Uh, really? it, go- it goes back to that. See, I always thought that was just like a like a just a commonly cited myth. So, so yeah, so things are things like Shungo. So yeah, so this is this is um, the this is the very common. If you pick up uh, a work on manga, it'll inevitably come up that this is sort of the origin. Now, I mean, that's literally on Wikipedia. Yeah. So, um, as you say, it is effectively a myth, right? That's one of the reasons that um, Exner's not writing about hentai in any capacity or, or era manga in any capacity. But this ties back into a broader discussion um, of what uh, Otsuka Eji calls the uh, Kigensetsu or the uh, Choju Giga origin theory. So, the Choju Giga is a scroll uh, which is called uh, Emakimono or picture scroll depicting frolicking animals that dates back to the 12th century. So if you pick up a mm. text like, uh, I think it was a Rich, Richardson's uh, 1,000 Years of Manga, um, or you read some of the earlier texts uh, about the hist- about co- you know j- comics in Japan, they'll, they'll inevitably go back to this kind of pedigree, that manga, rather than being what it is, is actually this incredibly ancient, uniquely Japanese media form. That goes back to the 12th century. They've been making manga since then. Mm. Now, most people who are honest about honest with themselves would be like, well, no, but they'll go back to Hokusai because he published, you know, his daily manga. Right. Um, and that's so, where, well, that's where the term comes from, isn't it? Yeah. But again, this is one of those tricky things where just because a word is used uh, that you can trace the etymology of a term to this point. That isn't right. necessarily static, right? Like where the meaning of words yeah. change and how they're used in their con- their context is really important. Manga can literally just you know be considered just analogous, more so to just cartoon rather than comic necessarily. Right. So um, Exner uh, published this text in uh, 2021, and what he looks at is um, the historiography of a really a generally marginalized period in manga historiography in general, especially at least in, in English speaking, probably in, in Japanese language texts as well, of the influence of, Mer- of American comic strips in the 20s and the 30s, and how he um, where he puts the dividing line is he uses a term called audiovisual comic strips, and what he means by that is that. Something like a picture scroll or um, things like Hokusai's manga, if there, are, if there is text, if people in the what's going on are speaking, it's always outside the panel. It's never internal to the panel. Hmm. Um, and there's, some, there's some, some sort of debate about s- some things about like sounds. And he goes into this and it's a bit beyond the, the, the kind of, I guess, this specific topic. But where he sort of draws the line as to what where the major influence for contemporary manga come from was at this period. And this is where Japanese mangaka in the twenties and thirties began adapting, uh, this audiovisual comic, uh, with including word balloons and sound effects in the panels themselves. Um, and he actually has this really interesting, uh, example of it. So again, it's a, it is a really interesting text and if people who are interested in, you know, the history of manga, uh, very accessible, you don't have to be like, you know, a, deeply, uh, deeply into, you know, historiography or any kind of history theory. It's, it's pretty, pretty plainly written. But how um, expensive is it? It's pretty cheap. Okay. It's uh, it's pub. It's a, I guess it's public facing. Um, let's see. It is like, it's 3495 Canadian. All right. According to the, the university of British Columbia's website. So yeah, it's, it's widely available. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it's, so what, what all this, what all this has to, to do with is as it turns out, the history of uh, uh, manga is also significantly more recent, um, and the reason that people are want to 
try to trace a genealogy back to a figure like Hokusai is again because of the content. Well, if it's just smut, if it's just pornography, then that's that's not really something you can be proud of in terms of a cultural product. But if you can spin it so that you know the origin of you know tentacles uh, in arrow anime or in arrow manga is you know one of the most uh, famous Japanese artists of the you know 19th century, uh, then suddenly that adds this veneer of uh, cultural significance. Um, mm. And this is something that the state is very uh, happy to promote because, you know, ma- manga is profitable as it turns out. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So this is actually something that's kind of interesting in terms of the way that people talk about it is that even in Japan, this uh, again, like the, the the idea that, you know, manga is this relatively ancient and pedigreed media form is still popular enough that someone like Otsuka Eji, you know, came up with a, 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 like a specific name for the theory. Hmm. One, Some of the people who have... Uh, will have written about how that's not the case are people who are writing about manga. So both Nagayama as well as Rito uh, talk about this. So Rito talks about the origins of, you know, uh, tentacles and that expression in Aero, in manga, And that actually gets traced back to um, Toshio Meida, uh, Meida Toshio or Toshio Meida uh, and, uh, you know, Yurotsuki, Yurotsuki Kudoji. Mm. And when he was like interviewed about it and he's like, well, it, because everyone's like, well, obviously tentacles are the hokusai. Like that's, that's where the, the media form comes from. And it's kind of like, well, then why, um, why aren't there really any tentacles in, in arrow anime until uh, Maeda's writing? <laughs> it mm. seems like, uh, like why did everyone else ignore it? And then uh, Kimi and has it suddenly inter- just appears again in the yeah. record. And then uh, Kimi ha- or Rito has an interview with Maeda in the text. And he was like, I had ever, I had, I had never actually seen um, the dream of the fisherman's wife. Uh, and that was because I was a child. <laughs> so like my parents weren't like banging down the door to, to bring me to look at this work of pornography. And so right. his, his explanation is he, he, he only saw it kind of after he'd already started, you know, pu- publishing Do- you know, Doji and, 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 you know, writing, creating these works. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that Maeda went with tentacles wasn't because, you know, uh, Hokusai did it. It was because it, one, got around censorship laws. And that's... That's that's one of the main reasons I've heard, yeah. Yeah, and the the, the history of, of Aero Manga and, uh, and Aero Anime is a history of censorship. Um, okay. And that's a really that's a really interesting and part of that as it happens. I'm sure we'll get into that when we start discussing things being brought outside of Japan as well. That's right. Because there's, again, re- some really interesting things going on. But... Um, so aside from getting past sensors, because a tentacle is not, uh, not a penis, um, or it's not, you know, the glands when they start editing things down to a certain extent with censorship, um, it also allowed for really, fa- really fantastic um, in terms of like pure fantasy as opposed to like really good options for expression. So hmm. he um, media says that he he's, he liked the idea of tentacles uh, specifically because he could then pose the characters. And again, almost, uh, uh, at least when he, in his writing, it's almost essentially just female characters. He could mm-hmm. put them in all kinds of positions that were, you know, especially erotic that wouldn't normally be possible. And since you're writing in a medium that is fantasy, you might as well try to make the most use of it as you can. And so in previous where we're previous, uh, it, it basically just expanded what could be displayed, what could be represented in the medium. 
Uh, and then hmm. it kind of just it blew up, kind of, uh, you know, expanded out from there, so to speak. So, uh, so yeah, so I guess it's just the, one of the things you kind of come to appreciate is that the history of arrow manga, or, or I guess the arrow works or hentai, um, is the history of the you know anime and media forms themselves. You, of course, you can always you can also talk about games, uh, but uh, that's one of the kind of in terms of like arrow manga, arrow anime, and arrow gay. Arrow gay is probably my abs- not, not probably is absolutely my weakest point because I haven't explored too too much into it. I've done okay, a little bit like, of stuff, so, so like it's yeah, like, like such a game. massive thing into its onto itself. That's like that's a whole other podcast episode, really. Yeah. Um, you want to come on and talk to us about Aerogay, <laughs> and, you know, and you happen to know quite a bit about it, leave a comment. I don't know anything about Aerogay. Uh, well, I mean, I know a well, bit. J- again, just, just as like Aerogay is the origin of the visual novel. That's where it started. The yeah. first visual novels were Aerogay. And then they just, they were popular enough that, you know, specific titles, specific Aerogay titles were popular enough that... Uh, major game companies that weren't operating on you know like like the PC ninety eight or the PC eighty eight. Um, I'm not sure the PC eighty eight is a thing, but whatever whatever the PC platform was, we're like we could port this to the PlayStation and just remove all the pornography, you know, the twelve images, the twelve pornographic images, and then sell this. The, the twelve minutes, yeah, and, and they yeah. did, and they did very well, <laughs> and it, it yeah. spawned this you know very influential media form. Uh, again, because of pornography. So it, it's there and it's always under the surface. And again, why I think it's it's interesting and, and kind of worth talking about. So then where does like hentai start when it comes to like, you know, we can obviously like start pointing to like uh, the 80s specifically, unless you want to start looking at like um, Yasujino Pornorama or uh, so, Thousand and One Nights, te- like Tezuka stuff. But so are you are you are you talking about like air anime? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, I mean, well, we can start with manga because that goes, I, that definitely goes back even further. Yeah. And they're, again, they're like everything else, the, 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 the media forms of manga and anime are very much related and interrelated. Oh, right? Of course. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, see, the thing with the thing with the history of, of arrow manga is that it's, it's pretty well attested to, um, like, again, I've got, I have two books on it, right? Um, mm-hmm. that are widely available. Well, one's widely available, one's incredibly expensive, but, um, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go, we'll, we'll perhaps just run with the, the, uh, the arrow, the, the arrow, uh, arrow anime. Um, so the first arrow anime that's widely accepted to be the first one that was, you know, produced. Yeah. So things like a thousand and one nights are mentioned and, uh, Cleopatra is the other one. Cleopatra, uh, Belladonna of sadness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I mentioned Yasujino Panorama. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone's fucking seen it. Very few people have heard of it. I don't think it's subtitled, but it's a thing that exists. So things, um, so things like, um, but things like that are different. That's like, yeah, a, that's be- almost like a like a sixties, seventies free love. Yeah, and and they're they're not like ex- they're not I guess explicitly depicting the sex acts. Uh, if if I understand it correctly, it's really more just like there's 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 erotic and there's eroticism, but it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's more hechi. Uh, so to speak, then it would necessarily be like, you know, uh, well, sometimes it's, it's almost just played off hentai. as a gag in yeah. a lot of ways. Well, and, and that's sort of like the, the again, the early history of, of hentai. There is actually a lot of the gag going on, even in, in the in anime. But the, the earliest kind of agreed upon um, arrow anime title is called uh, Lolita Series One uh, or Wonder Kids. Right. Uh, it's released was in that. that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, was that Azuma? No. Um, 
So, actually, no, I can't, I can't say for certain. I'm not entirely sure if, um, I guess because there's, it's not super well documented, mostly because uh, in a lot of uh, a lot of countries, it's actually illegal to have a copy of it because it does violate several laws. Of um, course. But, so it, it, it's released in 1983. Uh, yeah, so it's... Okay. And, and it it's, it's, uh, comes out of the uh, Lemon People uh, uh, magazine. Right, right. Um, which is also... Like one of the first, I mean, Lemon People is like the first actual, uh, yeah. lo, lo, I guess, uh, Lolita, uh, the first Lorodicon magazine. Uh, Manga right. Buriko came out to quite, it was a contemporary, but didn't last quite as long. So you had the release of um, Lolita Anime 1, which isn't to be confused with another another one, which is also called Lolita that's Anime. That's another, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the confusing thing. There are two. There's two of them, and they're released very close to Lolita Anime. Yeah, so so yeah. This, the, the the difference is usually it's like it's the, the Wonder Magazine series or the, the Wonder the Wonder Kids or the Wonder series, um, right? And so after that, um, the next kind of important, I would say important uh, text uh, is a series called Cream Lemon. Um, now, yes, this is a, this is something that Galbraith has written on. This is actually the the article that I uh, had. Uh, requested to get a copy of it from him because I don't have institutional access to access uh, academic journals. And yeah, so Cream Lemon ran from 1984 to 1987, at least the first, the first series did, the first installment. Um, it had subsequent series running from uh, in 1980, between 1987 and then the last one was in 2006. Um, and while it was uh, also had Loli Rodicon elements in it, it was uh, build itself as sort of like the the first uh, bishojo um, erotic bishojo series, and so like the hmm. the, the Rorikon bishojo split is one of those kind of important points in both the history of ero uh, of ero manga, especially um, because okay. b- because the bishojo style would come to become the dominant expression of manga and anime in general. Right. Yeah. Um, but. Cream Lemon's really interesting because aside from it having a, rel- a lot of videos produced, it also is the origin of a lot of expressions that would become, you know, copied and repeated as, you know, the as the iterability goes in terms of the, the reproduction of the uh, era anime form. So it would, it would set up a lot of the conventions. I mean, and of course, a lot of these conventions were already established in, you know, era manga because it had been in publication for, you know, almost a decade beforehand. Right. But in terms of, it, it was just, quite impactful in terms of the influence it would have on later people who developed it. And that's, again, one of the kind of interesting things about um, the production of Arrow Anime is that a lot of the people who end up making it end up going on to do other things in the industry in general. Probably the most famous example would be uh, yeah, Akiyuki Shimbo, who kind of like started in just normal TV anime and then went into hentai and then went back into anime. Yeah, so I'm just, I guess going from, I'm just looking at my, some of my notes from my, so one of the, again, the areas I'm kind of weaker in in terms of this kind of stuff is I am terrible with people's names uh, and especially things like directors. As an example, so um, mm-hmm. there was a, a, series, a title that came out in 1986 called uh, The Legend of Leon Flair or Rayon Densensu Flair. Uh, and the director of it was uh, Uchida Yorihisa. Um, and he would go mm-hmm. on to do something like, you know, become like an episode director or an, an animator, uh, uh, an animation director on things like Char's Counterattack or, or a Battle or Dunbine. And he'd work on some of the okay. Mobile Suit Gundam movies as well. Um, I know the, the first instance of someone who I knew had sort of got their start as a, um, I guess, an, an Aero Dojin 
producer, um, and I've forgotten his name, which is terrible. Uh, the mangaka of Helsing. Um, probably look it up, but I'll look it up real quick. Jamie, look but it yeah. up. <laughs> but yeah, so like he he got his start uh, doing you know, Helsing. Effectively started as a uh, you know erotic. Kota Hirano. Yeah, Hirano. So Hirano started uh, life, so to speak, in publishing, uh, and Helsing specifically started as an erodojin, as an, an erodojin. Um, mm. and then just again adapted it, took uh, took out some of the uh, these, you know made, made the erotic, eroticism a bit, a bit more uh, coded as opposed to overt, uh, and then we ran with it, and then you know had pretty pretty successful career. Um, so again, it's just it's just. And I, I don't think it's necessarily right to look at it like some kind of like seedy underbelly because I, I think that's perhaps a bit overblown. But just the, the the interplay between these erotic expressions and the production of manga and anime in general, um, and the the sort of cycle between the two is just kind of really interesting. They exist in much closer proximity than I think a lot of people are aware of or comfortable with. At least uh, speaking about like outside of Japan. Yeah, and and I think it's probably now again. I've I'll be perfectly honest. I know very little about the production of 3D. No, some, sometimes 3D can be confusing, like real life pornography, so to speak, like actors and actresses kind of thing. Mm. So I don't, I yeah. don't, but I don't think there's the same kind of. I wouldn't. I don't think there's the same kind of overlap between people who are producing, you know, um, pornography, who then go on to direct, you know, like a lot of television or a lot of. Um, there are probably some examples, but from yeah. what I understand, yeah, the world of pornography is a much more insular world. Yeah, especially when compared to like the production of, of TV anime and um, and again, because you're sharing the same a lot of the same resources, it's it's not quite as uh, what's the what's the term um, ghettoized, balkanized, balkanized maybe is a bit better. There's a lot more there's a lot more overlap between because people are you know sharing resources right. and, and artists yeah. and stuff. So so yeah, so the there's more cross pollination, I guess, is what we'd mm-hmm. say. So. With these early, with these early video, or I guess these end of video, effectively, this is long, but well before things like Laserdisc or other uh, other media forms kind of came on the market. You can still see a lot of the even more what would become, I guess, like hardcore uh, or problematic. Problem, I'm not problematic. Probably the wrong word because we're talking about pornography here. So people are like, of course, it's problem. It's problematic. <laughs> even in these early texts, like something like Lolita One. Lolita series one, you still see things like uh, sadomasochism, bondage, uh, again, like tentacle, right. tentacles showing these up. Were, these weren't necessarily vanilla works. Uh, by, by no means. And so this is, um, I guess, from a... It's pretty vanilla. <laughs> well, now, but, but by today's standards. <laughs> I mean, if they're not being decapitated, I, I'm not... <laughs> Not for some it. Some of them, I think. I think there's probably some cases of that. Like I think. Oh no, there's plenty yeah. of it. Arrow Girl is yeah. a, quite a large facet of. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, that's that's kind of interesting because when you when you start talking about things like like the nomenclature, or the way that terminology works, like the origin of the term hentai, uh, at least as used in North America, is again interesting because it isn't. No, what, it's not really a word they use in Japan. No. At least in this con, at least in the same in this way. Yeah. So, um, in Japan, the terminology that's used we've been using is ero, right? So, a, a portman, yes. not a portmanteau, like a, a localization of uh, English. Though some people will contend that it was in fact a French loan word, not an English loan word, and that's kind of up in the air. 
most English language texts will say that it's English. I'm sure most French language texts will say that it's French. <laughs> um, and then just adding it to the different things, you know, ero manga, ero anime, and eroge. Whereas uh, hentai in North America, or in the, the Anglosphere at least, um, and again, it's contested because there isn't a precise, there's not like, there's not like people can look to like Lolita one and be, Lolita series one to be like, that's the first one. We know that there's nothing before this, at least that we have any kind of record of. Right. With the ter- use of the term hentai, it's not so clear. There's, there's not like okay. a, there's not a specific point where someone can point to and be like that, this instance right here is the very first use um, of this term. I'm pretty sure the wiki page hmm. tr- tries to kind of tries to do that. But even like Rito, for example, they're like, they're not entirely sure. The most commonly accepted um, origin story of the term is that a fan, uh, uh, you know, a North American or Anglo fan subbers uh, heard people using the term hentai and interpreted it as, you know, as a literal transliteration as pervert um, and not metamorphosis, which is its own thing we can talk about. Um, but it's <laughs> generally thought to be a, a, sh- a shortening of the hentai soyoku, uh, sorry, hentai, su- su- uh, hentai soyoku sha, uh, which is an individual with perverted desires. Mm. Um, so, mm. so a fan subber kind of came across that term and was like, oh, well, this is what they call pornography because they're talking about, you know, perverted people. And so it just kind of stuck and then just disseminated as the consumption of hentai in the media form kind of promulgated through fan subbing communities and then through um, official productions through companies like, you know, Anime 18. Though the, one of the things I, I'd like to try to find in my research that I, I haven't come across uh, is like when they started using the term hentai as like a term for marketing. Because in hmm. like uh, if we, like the, the first series that um, uh, Central Park Media through its Anime 18 label released was, of course, Jirosuke Doji. Uh, and in the yes. marketing, they don't use the term hentai. Uh, and I'm pretty sure for a lot of the earlier products they released in the early 90s, they don't use that term in any of any of that marketing. It's something that came on a little bit later. So, but again, that's something I'm hmm. I'm looking into at the, at the moment, anyways. Um, so then, what about some somewhere in between then, basically? Yeah, a little bit after. Yeah, and like so, one of the interesting texts about that specific period that is now very difficult to get because it's no longer in print and uh, even the authors don't really have copies of it. And it was kind of smutty enough that no like research library or public library would probably have a copy of it is a book put out uh, by uh, Helen McCarthy and Jonathan Clements called the erotic anime movie guide. Um, okay. And it, it was published. Hold on. I have my, looking at my copy now. It was published in 1998. Oh, you have a copy? Yes. So, um, the, and again, uh, shouts out to Lev at uh, 4P because he was instrumental in me getting this. Because when I looked when I looked it up to see if I could find a copy through Amazon, the copy they had listed was selling for around thirteen thirteen thousand dollars. Sorry, thirteen. Does sorry, that make any sorry, sense? Sorry, thirteen hundred dollars. Thirteen thousand. Yeah, thirteen hundred, which is insane. Still insane, right? But then it was like, yeah. oh, uh, that's through Amazon Canada. What if I look through Amazon? the U S and it's like, Oh, there's, there's one copy that they're selling for like $13. <laughs> so he's like, well, I'll help you out. So I, and I ended up through a, a bit of a circuitous process, getting a copy of it, which is great. Um, okay. and the, the reason that they, uh, it's not getting published anymore is that, um, I don't know. I think the publisher's still around, but 
Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's overlooks. They're still around, but um, it's kind of been outmoded. Both Clements and McCarthy are like, well, we've the the uh, the anime encyclopedia has superseded this specific text. But hmm. for for a text of its time, um, it's really interesting. And of course, m- for anyone who's familiar with McCarthy or Clements' writing, there are some of the earlier people who are like treating anime and manga as an ac- uh, anime at least um, as a kind of a serious academic endeavor. Um, and it's not without not without issue, um, but they're also, also kind of like you know like well why write about pornography and the films they include in here they they have lots of non non hentai uh, non arrow stuff in here at all but they've also got a lot of, of arrow stuff and so they they break things down in categories and uh, it's re- it's really interesting because again it's kind of like one of those snapshots but they have the same kind of in terms of like the etymology of the term hentai and where it comes from the same kind of explanation but they of course also do things like fall into the trap of like tracing it back to hokusai so this this specific text kind of again because it's published in 98 it basically catalogs a lot of the the earliest and kind of most well-known um hentai of that period and in the UK so that's where where McCarthy and Clements are operating out of because they're from they're from the the UK the right they Yurosuke Doji was one of those things that kind of like scandalized the British press. Um, yeah, there was a bit of a uh, moral panic about it when it was first being brought over. There was. And so one, one of the reasons they wrote, they put this book out and a lot of their, if you look at a lot of their texts, the, ton, the historic context they're writing in is in the maelstrom of this, uh, this moral panic about these, you know, these perverted Japanese cartoons that are just, you know, destroying the minds of our youths. It was coming close to being banned, wasn't it? So, um, in terms of Yorotsuko Doji, uh, it is, um, so there's, there's a, a, a corporate, not a corporation, not a corporation, I'm not sure what they're, it, there's a kind of this board in the UK called the BBFC, uh, and they mm-hmm. basically get to determine what does get shown and not get shown. So when, um, I'm trying to remember, it, so it would have been manga entertainment, uh, or what, what the company that would eventually become Manga and Ma- Manga Entertainment UK was trying to localize and release Yurosuke Doji. Um, they ran into this problem about what 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 could they have and what they could show, what they would not show. So Yurosuke Doji, I guess, take us back for a sec. Was originally released uh, as uh, a multi-part OVA series. So yes. the first three were compiled, I think it was the first three, so the first two of the first three, are compiled into a film called Yurosuke Doji, Legend of the Overfiend. Uh, mm. And this is this is the one that, for example, again, interesting bit of history, um, and I'm sorry for jumping around, uh, is actually shown at TIFF uh, during the Midnight Madness. Really? Yeah, at, during the Midnight, so TIFF wow. at the time had this, this, sec- this programming block called Midnight Madness. And so... Hentai is introduced to North America, to the, the English-speaking world, at TIFF in 1989. That's insane. 1989. Yeah. Okay. Is this, would this be the first example then? I mean, again, obviously, so, they tried to bring fucking Thousand Winter Nights over, but yeah, so, it flopped, and it doesn't count. So that, it, so that, that release, so it, was, it wasn't the dub because um, Central Park Media or Anime 18 wouldn't do the dub until 1990. They produced it in 92, released it in 93. But so okay. that was the sub, a subtitled version of it. Um, and as far as I know, it was an unedited version. It was literally just the Japanese, the, the Japanese film that was shown uh, with, with subtitles. Okay. Um, so in, so, but that, that what they showed was this cobbled together film because the original, the original anime is produced in 1986. Um, yes. the, the original VAs. 
So when they were trying to localize it in uh, the UK, they had to cut, like, I think they ended up cutting like 90 minutes um, of mostly erotic uh, content. And like of the like panel of people who were assembled to judge whether they should be published or not, there was like two people were like, yeah, we think that this, we can release it as it is uncensored, uncut. This is fine. Uh, yada, yada, yada. There was one person who was like, no, we should not release this at all. Uh, it's like re- releasing it in a, like it, it's kind of perfectly disgusting. So releasing a cut version of it would be even worse for some reason. So like they were like, just don't do it at all. And then the other panelists basically came to the consensus that they can release it in a modified form. So, okay. Um, Yorosuke Doji ends up released in the UK and it causes this, you know, this massive moral panic and it's picked up by the British press and there's all kinds of, you know, incredibly racist and or- orientalizing uh, takes on it. This is also of course in the context of, so this is, this is in the nineties. Um, so it's also in the context of, you know, the, this creeping fear of the, you know, the, the, the Japanese economy. This is of course before the, the bubble, the, uh, the bubble economy burst this is during the, the Japanese economic miracle. So this, this kind of like latent, uh, fear of an ascendant Japan um, was definitely in the zeitgeist at the time. So that gets, mm-hmm. that gets incorporated into a lot of that's, the articles and writing. Yeah. That get that's really interesting. It. Yeah. In terms of, yeah, the, the economic situation. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, um, I guess my, 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 my academic background is in history. I have a degree in history as it happens. And so like taking like a historiographic, trying to understand things, texts in their historic context is always really interesting because there's always another, some other layer of the, the kind of atmosphere that texts get published in or, or things mm-hmm. get released in. This is, again, many multiple reasons why I find this interesting. And obviously there's enough, enough academics writing about it that also kind of find it interesting, which is uh, neat. So yeah. how familiar are you with like Western kind of um, adult animation? Um. I guess kind of, I could I could probably name some of the like you know the, the bigger titles definitely like you know text obviously like Fritz the Cat, um, like the heavy metal film, mm-hmm. uh, the heavy metal ma- like heavy metal as a magazine, uh, you know the works of people like R. Crumb and like the the alternative comics kind of scene. I have a vague vague familiarity with that. Um, so but- in in the context of like those, because obviously Fritz the Cat's like nineteen what nineteen seventy two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like 1981, like clearly there was like some kind of precedent for like adult, you know, not like adult animation in the sense of like just for adults, but like adult animation for like pornographic yeah. reasons. So it's not like Legend of the Overfiend 1989 was like, what's what's the context for it being introduced for it having that moral panic, like even w- within the context of like heavy metal and like Fritz like existing already? Like, well, there- I, I guess I guess because um I, I I do I apologize. I would have to I would have to look at it more. So I have to I guess I'm speculating at this point. But oh, you're good. A, a text, so a film like Fritz the Cat, um, doesn't have the level of um, it, it. It has you know sexual content, but it's not anywhere kind of explicit. So I guess the other thing that's relevant is that so well, at the time, or it's Japan, meant to be tantalizing. It's not. It's not a pornographic film at the end of the day. Well, it depends on who you ask. (laughs) I guess. I guess it does. And to be perfectly honest, this is this is sort of this kind of debate uh, about Yorosuke Doji or Overfiend itself is how 
pornographic is it? Is it better to understand mm. it as pornographic? Is it better to understand it as, you know, ultraviolent sci-fi? So where the panic comes from is the melding of the, the erotic with the ultraviolent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, mm. I'm assuming, have you guys seen Yurotsuko Doji? No. Nope. Kind of, no, okay. So, um, I don't I, think we I talked have. about it with we talked about it with uh with Johnny uh when he was on and I was like I'm going to watch this I need to watch it still haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen I mean, some bad stuff I don't think I've seen Overfiend note. Mm-hmm. I mean again comparatively um so w- one of the things you'll see in a lot of the early uh early earlier um air anime is that you know people talk about anime as being like one of the things that defines anime is you know limited animation even that's a very crude generalization right yeah um air anime makes explicit like very uh obvious use of uh a lot of stills or very very muted limited animation so where a character yes. where one of the female characters is like the sort of the first sequence that involves tentacles that happens near the very beginning of the film or the beginning of the, the OVA um, is she's basically like making the two characters that, and these are college age people. And they, in this case, they actually were college age. They weren't like aged up for the American release. Right. So right. that's a, that, that's a first, um, not a first, but you know, we were talking about but, and stuff beforehand. Yeah. Um, so the sequence that happens is they're basically making out in, uh, I think they're in the gym, like they're in gym locker room uh, as you do. And then this other character is like, ah, and they reveal themselves to be like a monster. And then they start effectively, you know, uh, sexually assaulting or raping uh, the, the female character. And she's kind of, again, lifted up in the air. And there's different kinds of angles. But it's kind of like she's lifted up in the air, but her body is very still. And the animation that's happening is basically the, the movement of the tentacles. And you'll, 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 you'll you know, the, the, the cut will go to the tentacles kind of, you know, uh, moving around. Now, keeping in mind that this is also the period where um, this kind of goes back to this idea of this issue of censorship. So Hmm. these early anime uh, are still heavily censored. Manga is also very heavily censored at this period as well. Uh, Hmm. And this has has to go back with um, specific uh, one. So in context, the, you know, you know, it might be, might be too much of a tangent. We can, we can maybe, maybe we'll circle back to, to censorship. So in Japan, the release of uh, The Overfiend, these uh, erotic sequences are censored. When they were brought to North America, they weren't. Oh. So in some, in some ways – the American version, because they don't have the same kind of restrictions in terms of the censoring of genitalia, are able to show a bit more. Now, again, it, to some extent, you're not really seeing a lot of actual genitalia. You're seeing things like tentacles and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, so the censorship wasn't there in the, the, the manga um, and the uh, anime teen release because so the, the way that it would effectively work is that the, the Japanese animation, the, the Japanese um, animators or the studios would release, uh, they, you know, they animate everything and then they put the, sen- they put the censoring in afterward, uh, at least with the things like, like, Yurotsu, like Yurotsuko Doji. Mm-hmm. And so when a, when a North American company or a, 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 a distributor outside Japan would localize it, they would just be able to get the unedited masters. And this, this is the origin of why, you know, there's a period, if you look in like H sites where there's like, you know, uncensored hentai and it's like very clearly mm-hmm. uncensored and it's not some, some of the uncensored, because as an example with Overfiend, 
um, and some of the other early anime 18 titles, it wasn't really meant to be uncensored because they, yeah. when they were producing it, they didn't think it would ever get a release, you know, in, in Japan, Japan, you can't Japan, have basically. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So some of, some of the animation is very crude in terms of like the, the, there's not really a lot of level of detail in terms of if you right. see like a penis this, this or something. This is something I think anyone who has looked at uncensored hentai has noticed. Yeah. Now, when you get later later on, uh, that's not the case. They they know that there's good, they're good, they'll be able to get uncensored versions of it because they'll be able to reimport it from outside of Japan, which is what ends up happening, right. and it creates this really interesting cycle, which is one of the reasons that led to the kind of the collapse of the uh, uncensored hentai market in North America. But hmm. I, dig, I digress. Um, so it was really this idea that there was this you know, um, explicit pornographic elements mixed with this ultraviolence. Um, and yeah, so you have people who like a turn into giant, giant, uh, you know, giant demons that are like the size of Godzilla. So if you read a lot of the literature that's written about, you know, it's, there's a ton of stuff. I, I don't think it would be completely accurate to say that Yorotsuku Doji is to hentai what like Akira is to anime in terms of its impact in North America. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're going through the literature, it absolutely seems that way because everyone who was writing about hentai in the 90s was it's this sort of it's, it's everything's around yeah. Yurotsukudoji. Um so there's a there's a text called um um That's something interesting. We need that because because um uh Rotsukudoji Overfiend was being brought over officially, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So w- what I'm then wondering is if you know well, what was happening with, you know, earlier works potentially being brought over, uh, being fan translated and shared around just through tape trading unofficially effectively. Yeah. So this is this is, again, one of those. As this I said, is where it like, gets hard to, like, track down in the fossil record. That's right, because you have to find. So, I've, I, you know, I've, I, at this point, you know, I'm, reach, I'm reaching out to people who were uh, like at, you know, anime cons, the, like earlier anime cons, like the 80s or late 90s when they started popping up throughout North America and trying to get in touch with the people who are running, like you know the, uh, like the hentai content, because you know that's the thing that you, that's the thing that you did it at anime conventions for a really long time was you yep. sit in a room with other people and watch and hentai you, together as you, part of like late night programming. You keep your hands visible. And hand checks were uh, quite common. Hand- <laughs> it's watching porn with the bros. Uh, I mean, that's something that that's something that still happens at a lot of anime cons. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so trying to reach out to the people who are running the programming is probably, a, 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 I think, is will be a good way to find information out. I've also, I have to just like troll through Usenet and like yep. look through forums. And it's, again, it's as a, this is an ongoing research project for myself, so I'm stuff I'm looking into. But I could not say off the top of my head like what the fan side of things we're looking at. I have at this point really focused more on the professional side, and that's why you know mm-hmm. trying to get in touch with John Cirabella is so important. <laughs> Because again, because I've, I've been trying to reach out to him um, because of the the sort of the research research project I'm working on, which is effectively, you know, I'm trying I'm basically trying to develop a his a his history of um, hentai in North America because uh, mm-hmm. it's not something that's been really super well written on. Um, and so Cirabella is because uh, the position media blasters and uh, you know Kitty Media um, is a significant part of that history and so i've like mm-hmm. i've like emailed him i've d- like you know dm'd him on twitter i've responded in twitter threads like you know hey i'm doing this research project i'd really like to you know reach out if you want to ask some questions and it's weird because like other people who i've reached out to have been very receptive uh, and either would do it you know via dm or you know shoot me an email and some questions and i'll you know i'll answer you back when i have the time which is you know fine 
Um, but like, I, so I follow like the Media Blasters account. I follow like this other sub Media Blasters account. Like their tweets, respond to their tweets. Respond to their tweets. Respond to their tweets. Really, it's, it's, it sounds like you're just cyber stalking him at yeah, this point. that's right. I really, it, I don't think you understand how important Kitty Media is in this puzzle because I've, I've got a source um, from um, Anime 18 and so from Central Park Media who's talked about that early history and that's, you know, that's the where it starts. But mm-hmm. Kitty is important because it so it basically starts from the, the the early days up through until you know what happened with with Faku and where they kind of are where they're sitting now, um, right? So e- even if like I, I've actually got um, I was able to reach out to uh, one of the voice directors, uh, sorry, the uh, casting directors for some of the products uh, that uh, Central not Central Park um, Media Blasters are working on. And she was like, oh, yeah, just shoot me an email. So I'm like, well, maybe this will be another way that I could get to, you know, trying to get in touch with with Mrs. Cerebella. So uh, John Cerebella, Good. if you uh, end up watching the video, uh, please hit up my DMs. It's uh, at Study of Swords. <laughs> would love to talk to you. This would be, this'd be a good this be a good question to uh, pro William Chow. Mm-hmm. So what, what so- would you say is like the Acura? Like if if we take uh, Legend of the Overfiend aside for a minute like what would you say is like the big um hentai work that kind of came out um like i know the blue girls kind of a well-known one in that early yeah. 2000s period so um, the blue girl the blue girl for me is actually uh one of those like the blue girl for me is like rama one half like the blue girl for me and hentai is like mm. rama one half with anime it was like my introduction to the, the, the media form um, because mm-hmm. at the time in the like, late 90s, uh, as Japanese animation, uh, Japan animation as it was often marketed Japan as, animation. yes, was uh, kind, of, kind of starting to kick off, um, at least in the rental uh, distribution markets, places like yeah. Blockbuster and other uh, in my, my area, we had a, a chain of uh, video stores called Jumbo Video. Would have, have, they have that, like, that little like curtained off area in the back? Oh, it wasn't curtained off. <laughs> Oh, it wasn't even it, curtained off. It was out in the open, and uh, oh, again, okay. it, if you're for people who might not might not be as familiar with uh, things like the Blue Girl, or wouldn't be familiar with the packaging, really important. Mm. If they Google, you know, the Blue Girl VHS uh, VHS covers, you'll see, and that was what was on display, and it says, you know, it's absolutely not for children. Um, That's something you still see on a lot of media blasters releases. Yes. Yeah. Well, that that kind of became like that. That's like the the one of those kind of um, yep immortal phrases, right? Absolutely yep. not for children. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and you really need to emphasize that because yeah. it's animation. And at this time, people would have still have been associating animation being children's content. Well, well that's just it, right. <laughs> so and you, need to and you, that. you either you either had uh, you know video clerks who were because again, if you look at the like again like the cover of the Blue Girl, they just have a little circle covering an area. Now, again, because of this, because of censorship yep. in Japan, you don't actually see anything like penetration. It's just like the, the area is basically just kind of like blacked out on, on the front of the VHS cover, but it's incredibly explicit. It's a girl who's being lifted up, whose uh, you know, clothes have been torn apart with all these like tentacles writhing toward her. And she's like, use your imagination folks. Yeah. Or again, just look at my Google. You'll find it very easily. Look it up. And they just put a little sticker over the area that's kind of blacked out and be like, Oh yeah, this is yep. fine. This is fine. Now we can have this on a video shelf, right? No, no worries. So it was either through, um, 
derelict or uh, people who just, just didn't care or knew what it either didn't know what it was or didn't care allowed me and my friends yeah. to rent it. And so, you know, Oh my. <laughs> so yeah. So, and again, um, so the blue girl is quite formative for myself and I still think it, it, um, it's good. It has, I think an interesting story, um, in terms of the, the general narrative of it. And interestingly enough, so one of the, the kind of interesting things about, I'm going to say interesting a lot, um, the early anime 18 stuff is that the people who are producing it, uh, don't want to talk about it, didn't want to talk about it. And almost everyone who was involved used pseudonyms because they were embarrassed. You mean right? on the localization yeah. side specifically? And on, the lo- on the localization side, yeah. So the, the, for the, the Automate 18 through Central Park Media, mm-hmm. they don't want to use their names. They don't want to be associated with it. The Even though you know, Central Park Media went bankrupt years ago at this point, but the, the founder still, as I have been told, does not want to talk about hentai. Which is like, damn, that's a shame. And again, this this sort of stigma. Mm-hmm. This, so again, I apologize for a little bit of a tangent here, but like um, Patrick Galbraith, because he writes about this stuff, talks about um, he, he didn't actually come up with the term. I can't remember who it was that did, but there's something called the erotic barrier. It might have been Otsuka Eji actually, but there's, it's basically this idea that people don't want to talk about it, and so it gets in the way uh, of being able to do things like f- to find the history about it, this stuff because people are embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it because you know they're making these you know raunchy violent pornographic things that people would like look at them they wouldn't be able to you know they, w- they wouldn't show it to their mom so they're not going to want to put their name on it right um but getting back to your question i don't know if they're like i said like the, i think yorosuke doji definitely fits that fits that um i can think of kind of more flagship series uh in the early 2000s like bible black as an example right yeah uh, bible black. kind of comes up probably or legend of the necronomicon um, uh, what about Rape Man? Uh, again, Rape Man's one of those things where it's kind of like or like Rape Man, Bondage Queen, Kate. Um, these ones that have these mm-hmm. kind of goofy, goofy titles, um, and goofy still, titles. still, still pretty explicit stuff. Still pretty explicit. Did you know, by the way, there's like nine live action Rape Man films. <laughs> they, they're not. Like, I don't know if they're like available online at all. But are they pornographic? Yeah, it's kind of insane. Like, that that, um, that that's interesting. I. Don't know if they're photographic or not. I haven't seen them. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of interesting because there is actually. And I don't um, know where I would find them. Because there are like live action with Blue Girl. Uh, there's live action yeah. Blue Girl videos that were made that are very, very tokusatsu. Um, and then now hmm. they have. Um, I haven't actually watched any of them. But if you if you're if you're on, you know, the hentai sites and the banner ads they have, they have like a series called Hentai. Where they just have you know uh, women who are engaging with co- you know in coitus with again like th- either completely three D animated uh, things, but it's kind of like trying to take that to the extreme and okay. be, be more explicit than you would be with like the tokusatsu stuff. Interesting. Yeah, not 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 my bag, but you know it's it's there and it's it's again it's inter- it's interesting. It's interesting that it exists. Well, I guess it's kind of um, interesting but- to go like go along with what you were saying with like the blue girl. And then being kind of like ashamed to like be associated with it and kind of avoid it. Um, I, that's kind of still pervasive in the industry, like of localization specifically, like even more modern, like recently. Um, like you got like all the fucking mm. like Yuaka or like sex or credit, like their dubs um, mm-hmm. being very kind of infamous for just kind of taking the piss out of the whole thing and just being like a comedy, almost like ghost stories. 
uh, where it's just like, mm, yeah. yeah. And, and again, this is one of the interesting cultural artifacts is that um, with a lot of these early anime 18 or the, I guess the, the I shouldn't really say early, but the anime 18 VHSs and then eventually DVDs that are put out because um, it was pornography. They wanted to kind of have this so at least at least some kind of veneer of respectability. Mm-hmm. And they also wanted to be able to skirt any potential uh, censorship issues or, or potential lawsuits because in this case, many of the characters are aged up. Uh, so there's always a disclaimer, you know, all, anyone engaged in you know, <laughs> sexual activity uh, is over the age of 18. They're absolutely not over the age of 18. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are set in high school. Uh, but in order to add to this kind of kayfabe effectively, um, Anime 18 produced this little three minute long educational video about anime. And it's really cool uh, because it, and it, it began, at the beginning of every one of the, uh, at least a couple of the, like uh, Overfiend they had it, um, the Le Blue Girl, Twin Dolls, um, and some of, their, some of their other series, they'd have this little video that would explain what anime is, why, they char- why the characters have, you know, big eyes, why they have multicolored, why they have different colored hair, why they're, why they're walking around in, you know, uh, sailor uniforms, well, actually, there are, tra- there are colleges and trade schools where they still wear those uniforms. So really, these are absolutely uh, over the age of 18 and not teenagers. Please believe us. Please don't sue us. <laughs> and when I when I talk to people who involved yeah. with that, they're like, yeah, that, that was literally it's, it's kayfabe. It's all kayfabe. Every, everyone knows that these characters are not over the age of 18, at least. Now, again, in Yorosuke Doji, they were, but like the blue girl, they're supposed to be high school age. Um, but it still talks about Things about like anime as it, it, I guess, e- even though the people didn't want to be in, really involved with it, they were it was, you know, it was a paycheck. There was there there's and, and even though it was like kayfabe, it's still, I guess, this level, it, it took it seriously. Like it, it there, there aren't goofy dubs, uh, at least with the, the anime 18 stuff. They, they did a pretty literal transliteration of the text that was uh, of the Japanese. So they, they weren't doing uh, ghost stories. They weren't doing some of these other dubs where they were. Now, again, some of these like Le Blue yep. Girl have these comedic elements to it. But there is also, you know, there's action sequences. There's real danger. There is, you know, a graphic violence. Um, right. But they, they but despite the fact that they were embarrassed and they didn't want to talk about it, they still treated it like a legitimate media property. Some form of respect was given to it. Yeah. Now with now with like the modern like the dubs, are I guess were those just like DVD releases where like you could at least choose the Japanese. I would assume. Yeah, in in in, in many cases, yeah. So like the with with a DVD because they have the option of doing like the dual audio tracks. There are some versions where you are able to get uh, the there there is a dub and there is a sub. Um, and again, as as you know, North American anime consumers became more refined in their tastes, and uh, you know, sub, sub versus sub versus dub is a thing. You know, was a thing, and it's a meme. It's, it's really, been a thing for decades, and yeah, it will never go away. It'll never go away. Um, th- there are certainly uh, versions of these texts that do have, uh, if I'm not mistaken, have uh, both English, uh, like were dubbed, and have would uh, have subtitles as well. Especially during the um, kind of like the the gold like the, the golden age of props the wrong word to use but during the height of um, release of physical media 
of of hentai with companies like you know towards towards the end of Central Park Media's existence, let's say, uh, and especially with like Kitty Media, um, mm-hmm. uh, or the the, the Kitty Media label through um, Media Blasters. Media Blasters, yeah. They they would go. They would have. Uh, bear with me for a moment. Actually, let's have a look here. Seeing recently, uh, Media Blasters is working on the live action version of Doomed Megalopolis, which yes, Classic. this looks fucking lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as an example. Um, the f- right now, the first the volume one of Bible Black, uh, which was originally released in 2002, has both English and Japanese language options. So, so they'll have the double, they'll have the sub. So maybe you feel like you want to be like, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's like a matter of like they wanted to provide a dub for like that preference. But like, even though they were embarrassed about it, so maybe it was more like a focus on like we're getting we're doing distribution on the Japanese release with subtitles. And the dub's kind of there if you need it or want it, I guess. Well, here's the thing, I guess, is that, as I said, um, I've spoken with people who worked at Central Park Media in that era Mm -hmm. and their opinions on it. I haven't had the opportunity to speak with John Cerebella, please reach out to me, um, about Media Blasters and the Kitty label and how they felt about it. And Mm. I I kind of get the feeling... Uh, at least through his current, the current content, the stuff that they're still putting out, the fact that they're, uh, that they continued to be like effectively one of the only uh, producers of localized physical media for hentai for a significant period of time. For anime um, specifically. Because yeah, I mean, there's just, stuff like, like uh, Faku and JT publishing, which, you know, yeah. handle like the manga side of things, but no one's really doing physical releases of anime. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, like there's there's, there's a whole reason for there's a whole reason why the um, like North American localization of anime kind of collapsed, uh, and mm-hmm. why it's now like incredibly niche. But with that said, Media Blasters is still promoting it and it's still producing it. So one of the people I have reached out to and have spoken with um, is uh, so like one of the casting directors who's currently working for Media Blasters, um, and so it's kind of like they kind of wear their their hentai bona fides on their sleeve. They're they're not embarrassed. So to speak. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious if there's perhaps was by that point when Media Blast just kind of started getting into it and they released the Kitty label, if there was less of this kind of stigma, um, at least in terms of like the sort of like the, the company ethos. But again, it's on, ongoing research is ongoing, so to speak. So yeah, yeah. I guess kind of t- going back to a little bit to um, when you were talking about like the discussion of hentai or era manga and era anime or whatever not being really taken like seriously because like mm. I, I guess going into like into the psychology of it because like I, i've been curious right where it's like you see a lot of like incest shit like not mm-hmm. specifically with hentai but like in pornography in general like hey step bro like that kind of shit mm-hmm. and so i've been curious where it's like i'm stuck in this washing machine i'm stuck in this gotcha pod machine <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um so I've been curious and I'm like, what? So what is, oh my God, they have not been barking this whole time. And right when I start talking, I've been curious because like, I was curious. So I was like, well, you have this featured a lot in pornography. So like, where does this kind of stem from? So I've looked it up and like, you know, something like um, mother, son incest or whatever in, in mm-hmm. erotic material. That's often kind of a symptom of like a, um, 
lack of like a maternal figure in your life. And so like, you don't know how to um, kind of bond with a woman in like a romantic sense as much as like, you're more yearning for like the unconditional kind of love of like mm-hmm. a woman. And so like, it kind of manifests in that way where like me- there are people that are drawn toward like mother, son, incest or something. And I'm, you know, you got, it goes all through all the different kinds of um, different erotic um, fetishes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much of that kind of transfers into like, I imagine a lot of it would transfer to like a, a, a within anime and like era manga, stuff like that. But is there like any kind of like specific kind of study going into it as far as like, are, are you aware of any kind of specific kind of discussion or space for that as far as like within a era manga sense? Yeah. So um, there is, of course, the historic, uh, the historic explanation, the, the, the going back into time immemorial, the specific aspect of Japan, Japan, Japanese culture, um, you know, Nihonjino and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, some people would say and point to a text like the Nihonshoki um, or no, Nihonshiki. No, it's the Nihonshoki, I think. And look at like the original tale of uh, Izunama and Izu. Again, I'm terrible with names, but um, when you go back into like Japanese or Shinto mythology um, and it's uh, Izunami and Izunaga uh, were the original like founding deities of Japan were brother and sister. And so that's where incest starts. Right, right mm. from the beginning of ja- the, the you know Japan conceiving of itself as a country, they've it's, been fucked up for centuries. Yeah, go- going going back to the literal <laughs> the literal Shinto deities who created the land of Japan. Um, yeah, and that that coupling that is the origin and that is the the deep history of incest in Japan. And it's like, well, that's there, but like if you look at Greco Roman stuff. Uh, like, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, Hellenic mythos, there's a lot of uh, incest going on there too. And it's still, but it's not expressed in pornography the same way. So it's kind of, it's not really a good explanation. Um, in terms of contemporary uh, psychology. Um, so what, one of the people who like, whose, whose texts I've read on the sort of the subject. Um, so I guess take us back another step. I take a lot of steps back when I'm talking about things, one of the, um, I want to say that it was, yeah, Kimirido, when they're, when they're writing about sort of the, the mentality of Eromanga uh, and what the kind of guiding principle was that anything goes as long as it's erotic. Mm. So because they understood that it is a fictional space, uh, because it is, there's, there is a considerable degree of delineation between the uh, real life and the fantastic, especially through, uh, you know, a drawn medium um, that these expressions that would be taboo otherwise could be transgressed in a safe manner uh, because of the nature of the medium. So as an example, I'm not as familiar with a writing on paternal incest, but for something like Siscon, as an example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, People who have written about it have been like, you know, I don't have a sister. Uh, and I think if I had a sister, I would want to kill her, you know, as sibling rivalry <laughs> kind of stuff. Not literally, right? They're not like, mm-hmm. they're not like I, if I had a sibling, I would be a homicidal maniac. It's just like, you know, si- siblings, you know, siblings be doing what siblings do. It's more so that um, the, it's the it's these sort of uh, visual uh, and 
cultural signifiers of what those relationships represent. You kind of you kind of hinted at it earlier, where the erotic manifestation of the big sister or the little sister. I mean, they're, they're, those are two different categories because um, that's where this delineation is kind of necessary. Because the person who's into Siscon that likes the older sister versus the person who's into Siscon that likes the younger sister are going for two different things. Right. They're related. Yeah. But they're different. They're so, different. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more it's it's less that there is an explicit again there's less an explicit explanation that the Japanese are like uniquely incestuous. It's more so that because of the diversity uh, and the the nature of the arrow manga and arrow anime production and industry, um, that there's more space given to the fan given to the fantasy uh, and erotic fantasy that allows for the ex- more explicit exploration of these taboo subjects and relationships that simply don't manifest in. Um, like North American or Anglo pornography, because in, in, in Anglo pornography, normally what you'll end up having is instead of, as you sort of alluded to again earlier, was it's not the sister, it's stepsister, it's stepmom. So they're yep. related. You get the little bit of the taboo kind of adding to the the excitement and the eroticism, but you don't have the explicit we you know we're, we're blood relatives. Uh, whereas right. you do, well, whereas I think you there's do in Japan. like um, I I will try and speak on the appeal of step sibling stuff it's not my thing mm-hmm. yeah go on yeah, I, yeah okay but this but, is a safe um, space this is well this is <laughs> we're not literally just my, this is literally just my speculation and i think that the appeal is literally this woman has moved into my house and is now like you know we are now sharing a fairly close relationship from what and I, we're not related from what i've read <laughs> so it's very just, much like an ease of access thing right like yeah it's, like a proximity sort yeah. of thing yeah like with the sisters it, it's like this is a woman that is already in your life you already have a rapport with you're you not having roughly, to build yeah. a relationship with them it's just your relationship yeah. is now entered into a sexual one as opposed to just being siblings kind of thing yes yeah, um, yeah. I imagine and steps- oh, they're, oh, they're around your same age, so it's convenient. Yada 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 yeah. yada yada. And I imagine step siblings is like very much similar to that. It's just removing that element of like familial and just purely yeah. focusing on ease of access kind of thing. Like, oh yeah, right. this person's yeah. already in my house. We're already kind of building a rapport. And again, I guess again with hentai, it, t- it ties into um, these conventions or these expressions. So. The, the big the, the big sister represents uh, you know a female presence that has been part of your life um, might be the first time like a, a sister or a mom might be the first time that someone had you know seen uh, a naked woman or a naked boy if we're going the other way um, and so it's again it's the, there's the element of taboo but there's also the element of of, of you know familiarity of someone who will be compassionate and who will kind of guide you through this experience. Uh, and that some people find particularly, you know, uh, erotically fulfilling when they're when they're engaging it with it through, you know, anime or manga um, or the other way where it's, you know, like the the younger sister, it's the, it's uh, almost it's uh, very often juxt- sort of juxt- juxtaposed where you if you have a big sister and little sister in like the same kind of scenario, then the it's the, you know, big sister is the, ex- the, the woman who's experienced. She is the. The, the, the experience, whereas the younger sister is the inexperienced, is the the virginal, you know, innocence, and you, you start rolling into like the rodicon kind of elements in that capacity. But again, through, and this this is kind of, I guess, to take a step back, like 
um, I don't know. I really don't want to talk too much about Oricon for obvious reasons, but for some reason, a lot of, I just find that a lot of, because hentai is not really discussed a lot in mm-hmm. general. Um, obviously the Rodicon stuff, it comes up with like shipping and anti-shipping. Whole other debate. Yeah. But like it kind of like hentai in general kind of skirts around the whole thing other than people who watch it are kind of like, gee, there's a lot of incest. <laughs> Geez, there's a lot of rape. What's, oh, what's going yeah. on there? Um, it just kind of gets ignored or just not discussed. I mean, you could like get into like, like, uh, like Saito. So Saito, uh, Tamaki Saito, who wrote The Beautiful Fighting Girl, uh, for perhaps your audience who might or may, may or may not have, uh, have read that work. I, th- I, think, I think a fair number of people who listen to this are familiar yeah. with it. So, At least if they're active in our Discord. <laughs> familiar, whether they read imagine. it or not is another question. Yeah. Whether they so, read it or not, that's what, another matter. One of the interesting things that Tamaki talks about, or Saito talks about, is that he, his definition of the otaku is uh boils down to someone who finds um drawings or cartoons erotic that's mm-hmm. that's his his delineation between an otaku and a maniac a maniac is obsessive will collect everything will um consume effectively kind of like he didn't talk about database consumption but kind of will consume in that capacity but there's always a kind of a border where they will never kind of get past a certain point whereas the otaku has able to eroticize the characters that they're consuming. And so mm-hmm. he, again, doesn't really talk too, too much about like era manga and era money and era money. He's talking more about a lot of more mainstream uh, expressions or mainstream uh, properties. Like, like waifu and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's really interesting because he's like, this is why there's not, uh, again, he was, he was writing like 2001, I think it was published. So it's a, a bit dated at this point, but he was writing in a point where he was like, this is the difference between, uh, you know, a North American, like someone who's outside of uh, Japan, who's not, not an otaku, but who's like into anime and stuff, is that pe- people don't watch Disney and find it erotic. Uh, and then you're like, well, yeah, but like the Tijuana Bibles have existed since the 1930s. Like, what are you talking about? Of course, people have, have found, right. have made, yeah, that's, you know, that- pornography, uh, even if it was satirical of these properties. So I think it's kind of a, it's an interesting way to approach like the, what makes someone an otaku, except that if by that capacity, the existence of rule 34, it's like everyone's an otaku, like everything gets made into everything will have some kind of pornographic reflection. And so when you, when you read about Mm -hmm. people who are opposed to hentai or opposed to pornography, uh, I guess like a narrow, narrow one on hentai, there are a couple of of articles that have been written to people who are like very, very critical, want to ban it. Um, or at least one of this had more, more heavily limit access to it, which I mean, again, f- frankly is, it's pretty limited in terms of, of legal means of, of accessing it. Um, yeah, they look at it and they basically see hentai as, um, a gateway to get pe- young people cause it's cartoons. And like the, the idea that in 2023 people right. write something about, you know, um, hentai uh, or like cartoons being for kids, <laughs> still predominantly for children. It's kind of like, this isn't two, this isn't like 1996, right? Um, so they kind of see it as a Trojan horse, uh, to, to, to corrupt the youth into like actual pornography use. Um, and one of the things they point to is like, well, look at all this stuff where they've got like, you know, characters from, you know, my little pony or, and they've been make like pornography (laughs) of that. And how, how, how can you tell me that's not for children? And they're, they're not trying to lure kids in with this. And you're like, but they're not, though. Those are adults making that, eroticizing that content. Uh, 
for, for other, other adults. adults. That's right. For their own consumption or for yeah. their own consumption with other people of their community. Oh, well, I think it might just be hard for people to wrap their minds around yeah, that. Yeah, and so it's def- definitely an age thing and definitely, um, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're in the culture, so to speak, it makes complete sense. And that gets back to things like, you know, semiotic encoding and, and understanding the, the culture and how things are produced. So from the outside, I can uh, certainly understand and appreciate that perspective. But it's kind of like if you're interrogating it, you really need to interrogate it uh, and not just make blind assumptions because that's how you wind up with, you know, um, really restrictive like laws and, uh, you know, unnecessary censorship. Right. I mean, yeah, uh, Gail and I were just talking about uh, obscenity laws last Mm. night uh, and how those are, I mean, even just going beyond like hentai obscenity laws are just complete bullshit. Mm. Like the, the, at least in the United States, the origin of obscenity laws was to restrict access to, uh, information regarding abortion and contraceptives. Yeah, right. And then, um, and it's still can be, and it's people are still trying to push for its uses because because the Comstock Act of eighteen seventy three is still on the goddamn books in Japan, where the, the this content is produced. The way that since you know be, because um, so in the again I got to take a the go journey back journey back with me in history so the early early cinema <laughs> oh god so part, <laughs> part one early so cinema in um in the immediate post war period uh, japan gets gets a new constitution and one of the things that americans and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know japanese uh, want to do is to not have censorship because the imperial state has relied heavily on censorship um, and so, mm-hmm. uh, freedom of expression, uh, freedom of, uh, speech is enshrined in Japanese law, except for articles relating to, again, obscenity. So, uh, the reason that hentai and, uh, arrow manga is censored is because up to a certain point, it was illegal to depict genitalia and this it was illegal to depict genitalia even in anatomy texts up until i believe sometime in the 1980s mm. um they, they wow. still when they were bringing when they were when they were bringing over like translations of like american or european texts they had to censor um genitalia because it was illegal to show to have genitalia in a published text or published work and so this is kind of the when uh, ero manga and ero anime is produced it's heavily censored. Um, and one of the really interesting things about it, I find, is that despite the fact that it, it's, you know, heavily censored and then you know, there's, there's kind of censorship waxes and wanes and as um, there's different. There are different kinds of censorship as well. That, if, you know, if you look at any sort of doujinshi publication these days yeah. where it can vary between pixelation, whiting something out or literally just here's a single black bar yeah so you know so as an example when the um the the first case uh, of effectively an arrow manga uh, uh mangaka and publisher that was tried and successfully convicted in Japan is called the honey room uh trial and this is because hmm. the censoring that they use in the manga panels was uh too sheer effectively so it was transparent so you could basically see everything mm. and it was just a little a little shaded a little bit. And it was just, you know, things like the in terms of like anatomy, it's always sort of like the the, the top of the, the the vulva or the clitoris, uh, and the glands on the penis. Those are the two things that get censored. Yes. Um, everything else is pretty much you're you're good to go. Uh, 
again, depending on the area you're talking about. But so in this case, it was determined that this text was it was not censored sufficiently. Uh, now again, they only got a fine. It's like they got imprisoned or anything. Um, but it kind of so that was kind of like the that era. I think this was like circa 2008 was when you know I don't have to I don't have to guess. I literally have this information available like right in front of me. Um, oh, sorry, it was 2004. Um, yeah, it was the uh, the, the manga anthology was called uh, Mishitsu or Honey Room, um, hmm. and Yes, they they got they were prosecuted and uh, fined for that. Um, but the his, the history of era manga and, and era anime is sort of the history of censorship. And uh, Rido, as an example, instead of finding uh, censorship as a barrier to creativity, finds it as a, a, fa- a font. So it's it's a, a place of inspiration. And how you work mm. around the as the censoring is has is the reason that hentai is the way that it is today. So you know we, we had already talked about things like tentacles, um, right? But what you so again you sort of alluded before there's things like you know originally especially when there was a little more humor and, and gags incorporated into the er, er, really earlier early stuff like get going into like like um, you'd have like anthropomorphize it so the, the 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 genitals would be something else. It would be you know like um, even like recently, I can think of an example. So, um, are you familiar at all with the series? Um, bear with me here. Uh, I think it's a Mitsuru no K or K Land. Um, no. Okay. No. So it was a series that was released. Bear with me for one again. I have this information in front of me. Uh, so Oideyo Mitsuru K Land or K Land. It was released in 2017, and the, the basic premise of it is that it's um, it's actually one of the, one of the examples of uh, all all the around all the sex is consensual, like through the entire thing. The basic plot is that K Land is this theme park for adults that's erotic, and everyone's just having sex and engaging in sex acts. So there's a sequence where, as an example, they're walking around with like chocolate uh, penises, and that's like a dessert. And so there's a character who's shown close up, of course, a female character like licking it and like putting it in her mouth and stuff. And it's very it's, it's basically a chocolate penis. And it's not censored because it's not a penis. It's a chocolate penis. But in the actual, oh. uh, you know, uh, erotic scenes, it said the penis is censored. <laughs> you can't see it. It's pixelated. So uh, huh. the anthropomorphizing genitalia was an early way that they got around it. Um and then you'd gradually you'd have things like you'd have the blackout where sometimes it got it was to the point where it was like literally just a void um, and the generals would come together uh, and then you you'd go to like things like the bars, uh, like the, the lightsaber where it's kind of like whited out or it's transparent. Um, and hmm. again, some of these expressions were prevalent in manga and then some of them were, were specifically present in anime, again, because you have different media forms that need to re- reflect um they kind of require different different ways of doing things, um, at least in terms of because of what like what you can uh, I guess portray represent in a manga panel is going to have restrictions uh, and elements that aren't going to necessarily translate to anime. That kind of makes mm-hmm. me think of a uh, To Love Rue because that's like <laughs> that's like a masterpiece of like skirting around <laughs> censorship, um, where mm. like it's very infamous for. 
Like it'll have, you know, it might have like blur, like white lines or something censoring, um, mm-hmm. like the nipple or whatever, like the if they're lifting a skirt or something. But he usually will put something like somewhere where like there's a scene where like um, one of the girls is lifting her skirt and there's like a faucet that's like censoring you know, underneath her skirt. Mm-hmm. But then there's like a w- water droplet that's like reflecting what's actually being censored. What's, so like, what's there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got like and, flowers and um, stuff that are being used in place of the genitalia and stuff like that. A more insane example is, do you know parallel paradise? I'm not familiar it's an with isekai. That. It's an isekai manga uh, from the um, uh, creator of elf and lead. <laughs> nice. So it's it's insane, mm-hmm. and without like divulging this the entire plot, because I guess take too long to explain. But uh, it's basically about a guy who gets sent to a world where he is the only guy in that world. Okay. And in the world, because there are no men, all the girls are genetically conditioned to become immediately aroused upon the slightest contact with him. Yeah. Um. And if they don't have sex by the time they turn 20, they die. Ah, yes. So there is are a lot of explicit sex scenes uh, in the manga. And when I say explicit, I mean very explicit. How do they get around this? Well, because the girls are so turned on by this guy, mm. they produce a lot of fluid. <laughs> and that fluid acts as its own form of censorship. That's right. So, uh, so Which it, is hilarious. Yeah, it's, and, and that's the thing, right? So... Um, like Rito, Rito says, like Rito's philosophy is effectively that, that, that he feels that the the existence of censorship has instilled in mangaka and in he's writing about manga, so let's stick with manga. Uh, this ability, this necessity to be as creative as possible, and all the ways to get around this. And yeah, so uh, mm. it's not so. This is uh, this. It's not uh, you know against the law. It's not obscene to show uh, you know seminal fluids or. Um, you know, uh, other fluids aren't obscene. It's just that those specific parts of the genitals. This yes. is again like yeah. the, the origin of the internal shot uh, of the the, mm. the, the the X-ray of the cross section, where yes. y- if you show uh, there's there's nothing there's nothing illegal there's nothing illegal about showing a uterus, and so no um, how that develops is that you know it starts it starts off by doing this internal this internal shot internal uh, you know scene where you see the inside, the, the, the mechanics of what's going on. And when you stop to think about that, if you were to see something like that in real life, it would be, I, I don't think it would be, and again, I, I can't, you know, I don't yuck anyone's yum here, but I, I don't think it would have the same kind of ability to be eroticized the same capacity. Cause that's that kind of like you, you move from pornography to health class, if that makes sense. Um, but in the anime expression, the manga expression, it becomes incredibly erotic. So one of the more recent, um, uh, developments of, of this expression is the uh, the uterus kiss, where the uh, the, mm. the, the the males uh, the the penis will effectively kiss the the edge of the uterus, and this speak this is a sort of uh, uh, well, that's how sex works, right? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But what do you mean it's not? Again, it's it's a way it's a way that the expression wouldn't have, it, it simply wouldn't have happened if they would have been allowed to have just depict genitals straight up. It, right, it, yeah. Born of necessity to create something that is even more erotic um, and more extreme, uh, as an example. And that's kind of this, that, that's sort of this really, I guess, for people who are outside looking in, this really bizarre, you have this incredibly 
uh, graphically sexualized and erotic content showing the literal internal mechanisms of the you know sexual uh, reproductive organs, but they still can't show a penis. <laughs> Like they, they can't. Yeah, they, they well, can't. that's sort of that's sort of the great like contradiction of all of this, right? And and again, that's that's really interesting. And but again, mm-hmm. would would most people be like, you know, I would? I, I mean, I guess there is the market for you know uns, uncensored hentai is like a thing. It's its own. You know, there's like companies like Hentai Pros as an example. Uh, yes, it's all free. But if you sign up for this, you'll have like an exclusive access to this library, and you won't have to say revert. You know, well, you won't have to go to you know forums to have people who have explicitly. Uh, come up with uh, explainers for what what animes featured and what hentai animes featured and what banner ads so you can then tra- track it down yourself. Nevertheless, because especially with more recently produced hentai, you're not the kind of the, the, the age of uncensored hentai has effectively uh, come and gone, um, at least in terms of of, uh, of, of arrow anime. Uh, hmm. And the reason for that uh, is because of the nature of production uh, and localization in North America and in Japan itself. So like mm-hmm. the, the collapse of physical media as, uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the collapse of companies uh, or the shrinking of companies like Central Park Media, um, not, so, not Central Park Media, that collapse obviously of like a media blasters. Um, media blasters, yeah. Uh, means, so there's a, a really, a pretty good article. Um, I think it was published again in like 2014. And the, the fellow's name escapes me off the top of my head, but he kind of explained uh, he's Shabe's boss. Um, um Shabe's, what's your boss's head, name? Savakis? Yeah, Justin Jason, Savakis? Jason Savakis. Jason Savakis. He, he had a, an article published in 2014, I think, in um, the in, at, at ANN. Um, Justin Savakis. Justin Savakis. Let's get that right. Yeah. Yeah. So explaining what effectively happened, why there's no, why, why after a certain period, like uncensored hentai disappears. And the reason hmm. for that, I, I mentioned it way, way back when we were talking about, you know, localizing and like uncensored masters. Well, effectively what happened was that the North American market dried up uh, and that was because um, physical media has, you know, collapsed effectively and everything went to digital streaming and they don't want to streaming uh, and digital releases. And so outside of obviously, you know, the, the niche market that's kind of built up around um, physical releases. But in terms of the industry as it was versus what happened to it. What ended up happening is that the the bread and butter for distribution of physical hentai properties in North America were effectively mom and pop adult video stores. Mm. That was the primary means through which uh, hentai was distributed. Uh, there was catalogs you could order directly from them, but for the, the most part, it was independent uh, pornography retailers. The internet... And streaming abilities and high high speed bandwidth destroyed that industry completely. Even even worse than the Blockbuster. I would I, well mm-hmm. maybe not worse than Blockbuster because they could always fall back on other things. But the that that market collapsed. Coupled with that was the um, Amazon will not carry pornography. Uh, they won't sell hentai. Right. So that option for distribution through a third party through the the platform of Amazon also meant that the market, the ability to access this material is dried up. Hmm. So that was Hmm. one really important part that the North American market for uh, hentai physical media collapsed. Coupled with that was that the, the basis upon which you were able to get uncensored hentai 
as I sort of mentioned before, the Japanese, the, the production companies in Japan would produce, uh, would produce the thing uncensored. Then they'd add the censorship, uh, you know, post-production. They would send the uncensored masters to North America. North America would release them. And that's where, that's where the bulk of the uncensored hentai comes from, though those original uncensored masters. What ended up happening yes. in Japan, though, from the Japanese uh, consum- consumer side, is that because the, of the internet and because of um, you know, increased globalization and uh, distribution networks, even though it was a bit more expensive, uh, Japanese consumers could import – because it's not illegal to own or to import oh, interesting. uncensored pornography. It's only illegal to produce it to produce and, it. and to sell it in like stores. Right. So what ended up happening was that Japanese consumers, the consumer base for, again, physical media uh, and uh, hentai media specifically, would import the uncensored American or North or European versions of Japanese product and not buy the Japanese one. So that started cutting mm. into the margins for Japanese producers who just decided, well, the, the, the bulk of the funds they were making through this, uh, through selling uncensored license, like uncensored masters of the licenses for these North America had dried up and it was cutting into their profits at home. So uh, we're not going to release uncensored masters anymore. And that's why there's no more uncensored hand. What's the timeline on that? Um, I, th- I think it was around um, sort of like the, the, the mid aughts. Uh, you kind of okay. kind of start seeing uncensored stuff. I guess it would have really been when, when like Kitty Media had real, when, when, I, I guess using Kitty Media as the, 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 uh, the test. I think um, Media Blaster started running into their trouble around 2012. Uh, okay. Is when they started having like significant layoffs and they ran into their, fina- their initial financial troubles. They lost a lot of titles around that time too, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so probably, you'd probably be looking at like the, the, the kind of the, the peak period for uncensored hentai was in that um, like 2000s to 2010s, 2012 era uh, is sort of when you look at the properties that are produced at that point, that's when you're going to get the, un- the uncensored stuff. And then sort of kind of post that, it becomes uh, less and less common to the point now where um, almost all the releases you like, all the releases you get. I mean, almost all the releases are effectively still censored. Hmm. Um, hmm. Ha- now, has that hampered uh, people consuming it? Absolutely not. Um, no, absolutely not. Like, uh, not at all. Um, and again, some a, a property like like uh, Kland, as I mentioned, in terms of the, I guess you know, quality of animation, um, the hard the nature like how hardcore it is the kind of sequences that are being depicted when you compare something like that to say something like bible black um is significantly more i uh, would say extreme or hardcore um hmm. and i mean and you know bible black sold itself on being kind of hardcore but when you compare like right. the degree of animate like the degree of now again, I, i'm not an animation scholar and i'm sure that there are people listening who are they kind of be like you know what you're talking about you idiot you absolute buffoon. <laughs> leave, um, a, leave a comment in the description or come on our podcast. We would love to talk with you. That's right. Um, th- there's, a, you, there's a distinction between like a, something produced in 2017 versus something produced in 2007, let's say. Um, even though the one in 2007 might be uncensored, the one in 
2017, it definitely has much more of a, a hardcore nature or eroticism, I would say, to it. Uh, now, that might just be personal tasting, too, of course. That might be incredibly subjective. Um, but yeah. So what you're saying is the eroticism is not in what you see, but is what you don't see. Well, if nothing else, it's I think it, I think at that point I, I've talked about the glimpse before. Um, I think at that point, because you you know, because your your mind, because the person who's consuming it is already familiar with how to decode what they're seeing in front of them. The fact that the penis has uh, or the, you know, or the, the parts of the vulva are blurred out uh, has absolutely no impact whatsoever um, on the ability for it to be erotic. So it's not it's not I wouldn't I wouldn't kind of classify it in the same way that I would say something like um, like a glimpse, like a, the flash of a nipple, as an example um, of that using like I guess it's, it's more seeing like catching the, I guess the, the, the base of like the idea of the glimpse is that you catch something very briefly and it's that momentary kind of um, something you shouldn't have been able to have seen, but you kind of caught, caught it is exciting versus just like a completely exposed breasts kind of like, well, there it is. I don't think that's, I don't think that has too much to do with the current, current appeal or the people, people's ability to get around sensor, to get around the, the, you know, pixelation. Mm -hmm. I think it's more that the pixel, they're able to, they're able to see past the pixelation. If that makes sense, the pixelation almost Mm -hmm. isn't there. It's accepted as a part of the media form itself. Right. Right. The, 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 the censorship is not a barrier to eroticism. It is kind of part and parcel Mm -hmm. of it. So, What's what's kind of the marketing um, structure for like hentai? Uh, obviously, they're OVAs, so they're being funded basically just through being being purchased. But do, are you familiar with like how they're chosen to be animated? Like, it doesn't necessarily seem like there's the same kind of structure as far as like you know with Shonen Jump or something. Like mm-hmm. the publisher of Shonen Jump is the one that kind of funds the adaptation. Uh, for like a demon slayer or something with the uh, UFO table. Um, and it's kind of acting as promotional material for the manga, for that publisher. It doesn't necessarily right. seem like there's that kind of structure in place for like hentai. Cause obviously some animated hentai is just like doujinshi. Um, yeah, I don't, not necessarily so that, like the animation mm-hmm. is doujin, but like the, you know, the, obviously the, the, the manga source material. Yes. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> Again, I because I guess my my specific focus is on a specific era, and primarily focus in North America. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I have to it's again either speculation or just sort of things that I've probably come across. So it isn't my precise area of expertise. Um, like obviously the 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 sources for arrow anime are multiple. You know, multiple. You know, you've got dojinshi. You have uh, officially licensed um, arrow manga. Mm-hmm. You've got arrow gay. You have, you know, visual novels um, and adaptations of of that material into anime. Um, again, as far as I know, at least currently, I'm not as familiar with um, any kind of Jap- streaming Japanese platforms in terms of what is available. Like how how much I know in North America, Kentai Nut now is consumed almost exclusively outside of you know the very limited physical releases through streaming. Right. I'm not sure how it works in Japan. Um, I'm not familiar with the Japanese platforms, but I know that the the 
one of the significant income streams uh, in Japan are people who are buying physical releases of hentai as effectively a pre- um, not a prestige product, but like a specialty product. Mm-hmm. Um, and and th- that's that's the main market for uh, for, for that. But I'm not I'm not entirely sure how. Like I know how production like production committees work for as you sort of alluded to before. I'm not as familiar with how uh, it how that actually works in uh, from a Japanese production standpoint as to like which property gets selected uh, and then which to get produced. Um, I, I think we're largely past the point where it's like independent productions that are doing it. Right. Um, and it's it's like you know it's the the major production companies that are. Like with major major hentai production companies that are producing this stuff, but I'm not actually sure what the the model is in that capacity because I guess a bit beyond the, outside of my scope in terms of the the stuff that I'm kind of interested in, which is like the North American side. Sure. Um, and um, unfortunately, at least right now, at least available in English, the only sort of as I said, like academic public facing texts are explicitly on manga. Mm. Um, so there's, there's nothing, right. nothing, I don't read Japanese, surprise, surprise. Yeah, no, uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, well, I mean, there's probably some stuff on, um, Eroge. Oh, 100% there is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of, ero, in terms of hint, like, uh, ero anime, uh, at least nothing's been translated into English, uh, as far as, okay. as far as I know. I, I have that I've, I've found. So mm-hmm. it is a shame be, uh, that, like, ooh. there is such a stigma on talking about, you know, era manga or era anime stuff like that, um, where there's just like that barrier. Well, talking talking about it in the capacity that we're talking, because I think there are spaces that um that exist online to oh, have absolutely. to like discuss this stuff. Um, but it's usually, for lack for want of a better term, uh, degenerate discussions. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's it's um, the conversations that are taking place beneath the on pirate sites beneath the stream. Yes. Yeah, the true intellectual in the discourse. Um, <laughs> That's right. Certain discords and subreddits, maybe as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but it's not. But you know, yeah, there. Are people, I don't think people talk about or. I mean, it's already a uh, struggle in a lot of ways for you know just your average consumer of anime to talk about or think about uh, anime in a more analytical capacity. I think there is mm-hmm. still like a stigma to that, especially with certain kinds of. Uh, just regular anime, not even getting into hentai. Yeah, like you see oh, that with um, like uh, yeah. isekai, right? Because like, yeah, literally, we had check out our isekai episode. <laughs> plug everything. all of our stuff. Um, uh, and the, well, then you know, and then that just becomes magnified when talking about hentai. Well, this is this is kind of um, one of the interesting things that is happening is there is to some extent. Um, a, visi- a, a visible trend of mainstreaming more overtly erotic content, or at least attempts are being made. So, um, in, and this is like in Japan as well. Um, so, right. so the best example, easiest example is um, interspecies reviewers. And yes, because it was, you know, it was, it was still a censored version of it. Um, but it was still initially broadcast on, you know, 
major TV networks, and they did cancel yeah. it pretty quick. They, some canceled it, some kept it. It's that was a whole people. It kind of got overshadowed by the whole my anime list uh, thing, but yeah, there was a whole thing with like juggling because I think Crunchyroll at one point had it, maybe it was Funimation, and then they dropped it, and then it got picked up by someone else. Yeah, it was just so effectively all over the place. Um, so originally, it was uh, uncensored. On the digital station ATX, and then the censored version was rebroad was broadcast on Tokyo MX, BS11, KBS, and Sun. Uh, it started airing in January of 2000, uh, uh, 2022, and by February, uh, Tokyo MX and Sun had canceled future broadcasts. Uh, and then the, mm. the series was originally streamed by licensed to stream by Funimation. They stopped after three episodes, and Amazon Prime yep. also removed it from its library from 2020. With that said. Um, it was kind of testing the waters, right? So if you look at another uh, another series, it kind of isn't quite as overt because Ishiko Reviewers was really, uh, you know, as close as overt soft, is, softcore hentai yeah. was, was getting. But yeah, um, as we're, I mean, they, I mean, shows like this have like existed in some capacity. Well, prior to that, uh, usually they are a bit shorter. They they tend to run in like maybe the five to fifteen minute range. Yeah, um, like there's one, there's like a firefighter one. I'm trying to remember what the hell it's called. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I don't know what the fuck I type in. Softcore? <laughs> how the fuck? How do I, how do I find this on any Did list? someone order a firefighter? Someone order a firefighter? Uh, I heard there's a burning I need it. to put out with my hose. Okay, so yeah, stuff like um, Overflow or <laughs> um, what else? Uh, some of these are directed like specifically towards women as well, which is interesting. Of course. Soryo to Majiwaro Shikiyoku no Yoro ni. What the fuck is the English name? There is none. All right. Why not? But stuff like that is um. Well, it's stuff that could be coming out around that time and prior as well. No, overflow thing I'm familiar with. Um, but because they they fire in his fingertips is the one I was okay. thinking of. Because Overflow, I'm familiar with, but they also did like the, they have like the uncensored version. Oh, they said the censored yes. version too, right? And then they have the uncensored version. Yes, could there are two versions. Yeah. After um, the another example that would be, um, uh, it's, it's, it's the, the, it was one of one of those problematic isekai. I've just the title's escaping me right off the top. Uh, of my head. Was it Redo of Healer? Yeah, Redo of Healer. Again, Redo of featured Healer. significantly, um, kind of more overt uh, arrow sequences. Just literally everything but the genitalia. Exactly right, and so obviously it had always kind. It had always sort of been. There's examples you can kind of think of, but it is something where you've almost kind of got this mainstreaming of, um, you know, hentai expressions in TV anime, which mm-hmm. I think is just a really interesting development. And I guess we'll kind of see where it goes. Uh, I, I'm not as familiar with the broadcast history of of Redo of Healer. I'm not sure. I, I but I don't remember hearing anything about it. Being, I don't. I don't think it was as much of a fiasco. Mm-hmm. And again, that might be because you know it's it the, the it's interspersed. It's the the focus of it isn't the sex. I guess you could argue. It's you know that's just a, a, an incidental uh, incidental component of it. Whereas Ishiko reviewers, it's literally you know the the point of the show. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, so it's 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 all very interesting, and like I said, there there's an absolute in terms of fan spaces, um, there's an absolute demand for this kind of content. Like as I said, I've I've done uh, hentai panels at Anime North uh, two years now, well, last year and this year, I mean, 
first one, first time after the reopen after the pandemic, and we're always a capacity. Um, mm. And uh, this this year we did I think uh, quite well to the point where so we had it was uh, the way the scheduling worked was that it, we had uh, the what's called the hentai comprehensive panel where we just talked about you know general things like the history expressions tags that kind of stuff. And then directly afterward, we had what was called Dark Side of Hentai, where we were looking at kind of more extreme versions of different tags. So we looked at things like, you know, the tentacle rape, uh, incest, you know, netarare or NTR. Um, and then you'd go into other things like, you know, like inflation and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know yeah. pregnancy and then going, getting into like Eroguro and that kind of stuff. Right. Right. But because it was so. With Anime North, uh, the way the, the the scheduling worked is that they sort of they do try to stagger things, but in this case, it was kind of back to back. So we had people oh, okay. leaving this panel when we mentioned that it was next to leave the panel to line up so they could get back in for the second part. <laughs> so um, the 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 content or the 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 attendance is always it's really popular. And again, this is kind of like this thing like no one talks about it, but everyone wants to. Every, no one talks about it, but everyone wants to. Yeah. Um, that's it. Well, it's good. I mean, it's good to hear that like uh, events like that are being like packed. Oh yeah, and again, like and the the the, the con runners. Like I was, we were even approached by a guy running, uh, like uh, doing. I can't remember which other other convention it was. Like in the in in, the, in little break between, and it was like you know if uh, we're we're looking for the same kind of you know after dark adult uh, eighteen plus content, and you know we'd be we'd be willing to you know like fast track your application if you wanted to bring this to our convention. And I'm like, unfortunately, I I can't because of my specific situation. You know, I'm married. I have kids. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to travel and that kind of stuff. So, right. Um, and they were probably like, "What the fuck? You're married and have kids? <laughs> what a what a freak! What are you doing talking about? Wow, what a mania! What a mania! And, and, and again, that's 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 that kind of that that erotic barrier, right? But um, there's so there's absolutely an appetite for it. And I know that Anime North wants to also expand its its 18 plus content even beyond just hentai, uh, looking at other stuff mm. as well. So there's absolutely a demand really? for it. And again, you know the, the the existence of pirate sites and how how popular it is, and it's 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 growing right alongside anime. Yeah, it's it, it, it's always been right. It's it's always it's, yeah. It's always been it's, a, it's a, a part of it. A one to one kind of thing. Yeah, like people you know, like again when you talk about the early the early history of like of of, uh, of Arrow manga, people talking about you know Tezuka was you know uh, someone Tezuka was you know the godfather of manga, but he also influenced artists like. Um, Oh, what's the fella's name? I can never. I, I was want to say Hiroki Azuma, but it's not. <laughs> um, Hideo Azuma. Yeah, Hideo Azuma. Um, and yeah, uh, he's you know considered one of like you know if if uh, Azuma's the the not Azuma um, Tezuka's if, if the Tezuka's godfather the of, god of, of, manga, of manga. He's the godfather of uh, Ero manga, effectively. Yeah. Um, and just you know the, ero- the eroticization of uh, and I mean it's Tezuka, Tezuka himself, um, obviously with with works like. Um, Let's say Ayako. I've written here somewhere. I know. And then I believe Hideo Ozma then went on to do like designs for like Daikon and shit. So you know, it's all yeah. It all kind of feeds back into it's it's, you know, it's you like always a, been there, just boiling underneath the surface. No pun intended. It is it is uh, the uh, anime, manga, and hentai spheres are uh, incestuous. Yes. And again, and that's and again, why I think it's a, a worthwhile study a worthwhile subject to study and to take seriously even mm-hmm. if a lot of other people don't they still appreciate the maybe they they still appreciate the people who do 
Like again, like yes. in in that that yeah. the the Anime North Discord where there was like you know well I I, I do take it seriously actually and this is what we talk about. The person wasn't like what a loser. They were like oh that's interesting. Maybe I'll go and see that. Maybe maybe I'll sh- maybe maybe I'll go to the panel. And that's like oh that's all you could really that's ask good. for. Yeah, it's just it's just um, it's a shame um, that that stigmatization exists like so heavily. Where like mm-hmm. it was a big thing for a while where people were just like dismissive of like Fate Stay Night because like oh it's just like a porn game adaptation. Porn game. Oh, it's an mm-hmm. eroge. Oh, so it's an erotic game. It's like, <laughs> like it's like ten minutes, and the game itself is like yeah. thirty hours. And it's like it's it's and just it, as like interesting to kind of look into the history of like you know certain tags or like the uh, you know techniques for censorship and shit like like how that's all kind of evolved as it is you know anything else like you know you look at isekai mm-hmm. how people are very dismissive of that and it's equally interesting just to go look at like the lineages of like the different kinds of you know how they kind of interact with the world how they are transported like all those different kind of lineages to kind of look at there just people are just so just kind of dismissive of these kind of things where they're like oh well isekai is all the same it's all just you know power fantasy kind of self-insert bullshit or like hentai is all just mm-hmm. tentacle porn and shit like that like it's just the conversation is yeah. not in like good faith right like it's more just you know fo- right now i think the the focus on like etchy or pornographic kind of content like anime is more focused on like you know the lens of which it's being kind of perceived like it's very much like a male lens it's problematic mm-hmm. as far as like how it presents females stuff like that and it's like that that those conversations are like valuable in the space but at the same time they're kind of dismissive of like the history of like well why did these things kind of evolve the way they did and like what interest there could be in like kind of observing that and like kind of talking about that and discussing that and how that could translate to change in the future i guess yeah and and that's again some of, that's where someone like Galbraith is really interesting because he write like they people who write about this stuff and you know Rito as well as Nagiyama when people, so I guess again, I'm just stepping back again. When you look at some of the the articles and things that are written about, uh, written about hentai, written about arrow anime, um, there's always this, you know, it's incredibly misogynistic, mm-hmm. um, and that's all it can ever be. But this has to do with, um, again, in in media theory, uh, something called the subject position. So, who is the subject, and how are you viewing it? Right. So mm. the the automatic default assumption with something like um, the tentacle rape is that the 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 male the presumed male viewer is taking on the the position of the tentacle monster and the person who's ravaging the female character, and it's never thought for a second that perhaps the person uh, isn't, um, you know, empathizing or seeing in themselves this ravenous monster, but the female character to begin with, and yeah. that's the kind of thing that that's the kind of expression that something like arrow anime can offer is it's an, it can be an interrogation of, you know, gender roles and the, the role of the individual in terms of what they find erotic in fan, like erotic fantasy is that the person they're empathizing with isn't the monster. It's the, the woman. And that can create this, it can problematize this assumed, uh, I guess, you know, gender binary or the, the assumed gaze that's, that's operating. Um, that you have other alternatives that are available where the subject position is of the female character and not the effectively disembodied, almost non-existent protagonist, you know, protagonist coon. 
there's you know there's the memes about you know the, the yeah. hentai protagonist you never see their face and they're, they're literally just empty spaces to have you know the, the 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 male viewer insert themselves but that also means that there's not any there's no kind of emotional um connection that's being able to be made with that character because they don't exist but the female hmm. characters do exist and there's definitely and again a lot of the literature uh, a lot of writing to that effect that it's the, the person is not empathizing like how could how could how could you say this isn't misogynistic and it's well they're not empathizing with the monster they're empathizing with the female character because it's a way for them to explore a gender identity in especially you know very uh, highly uh, patriarchal social structures and cultures um that it's the female character that the person sees himself as and 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 not the monster well when you think and about that, it it hmm. makes sense because like and a lot of those, the the tentacles are very mechanical, right? Like not necessarily literally, mm. but like they're just performing a function. There's not a like sense of pleasure kind of tied to the tentacles themselves. You're experiencing it from the lens of the woman who's like in experiencing it herself. Like that's the kind of lens you're having, you're being presented with. It's not you're the tentacles. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly right. And so in a lot of cases, when you when you look at a lot of the earlier uh, like te- if we're talking about tentacles, a lot of the earlier tentacle expressions, there is more of that aspect of the person who is attached at the other end of the tentacles is getting something out of it. Whereas as this, the the media forms kind of uh, the the expressions kind of progressed, you do have this tendency to be more mechanical, to be less um, less about the person who's attached to the tentacles and more just about the tentacles being an avenue for, you know, um, for eroticism for the, the, again, almost, almost always the female character. Now it's not always the case, but there is this, this shift, um, where they are almost as the, the tentacles are almost as disembodied as the, you know, the protagonist coon. Yeah. Um, and again, that, that just, it, there's, there's so much that you can look if you, again, if you, if you stop and you apply a critical lens, there's a lot more to, again, there's a lot more going on with pornography. And again, in, in the specific case with, with, uh, with hentai, than simply um, something that's a masturbatory aid. And, and not that there's, again, not that there's anything wrong with, because I'm going to be honest, that's still the primary uh, mechanism is still the, the raison d'etre of a lot of this stuff right. is mm-hmm. uh, as an as a, 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 a masturbatory aid, but that isn't all it has to be. And when you get past that element of it, even incorporating that element into it, why, how is it that people are getting turned on by this stuff? How is it that this is uh, this has become such a successful and effective means of uh, erotic communication? that's where the really interesting part of this lies that gets past the, this is just smut that's, you know, destroying society and creating these, you know, degenerates. It's it's interesting. Cause like a lot of the, I guess you call it stimuli that kind of spur these kind of artistic directions of like, um, you know, tentacle kind of stuff. Like they're very mm. similar to the stimuli that was in the West they've just kind of manifested themselves through a different cultural lens here in, you know, Aramanga and hentai, like tentacles, like that kind of hentai stuff that kind of evolved more into almost like just BDSM, right? Like it's instead of just being ropes, it's 
kind of just tentacles that are just kind of an extension of the sexual kind of pleasure organ or whatever. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and that, that's exactly it. That's again, one of the, one of the reasons that, uh, uh, made, uh, uh, found it incredibly expansive, not expansive, um, maybe expansive. It just presented greater opportunities to incorporate elements that made it more erotic. So again, yeah, tentacles are ready-made bondage equipment. Um, it's, it's ready-made. Is it the shibari is the, um, yeah, that's, that's the term for uh, yeah. Japanese rope play. So uh, it, it was, it was effectively multifunctional shibari, whereas the, sh- you could be both, it could be both the bondage equipment the, the restraints as well as the the element for penetration and for other kinds of other kinds of play and again it's not something you might even stop to think about if you don't if you don't think about it if, if it's not something you 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 reflect on and yeah and I mean you can you can you can you know, get into all the other the different kinds of tags and the kinds of expressions that they sort of engender um, if if you would want to talk about maybe west western expressions so um one of the things that is very prevalent, at least again, not not in terms of any kind of um, official uh, stuff, but certainly fan produced, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps the the equi- the equivalent is of course a- like anthro stuff, like a furry, so to speak, um, is another way that uh, you know erot- you know a problem problematized eroticism uh, has developed in terms of you know. Uh, North American fan cultures. And obviously there are elements in, you know, in anime and manga, you know, cat girls, cat girls have been a, a thing for quite some time, but I mean, in terms of like just general expression, um, like uh, uh, anthro stuff in North America is at least online is not, not insignificant in terms of the kind of material that's being produced. And that would be the closest thing you have to North American dojinshi or, mm-hmm. or, you know, things like R34 and the R34 subreddit. Rule thirty four, DVNR. Yeah, there are um, a lot of all these, all of these different websites and uh, communities, essentially mm-hmm. that that effectively function. Uh, new, new grounds is another one. Yeah, that that effectively function as like you know a, a North American uh, cognate to you know dojin, dojin circles and yeah, um, and even though, even though they function a little bit differently because it's typically more um, a, less a circle. Uh, I mean, there were web rings, of course, but I mean, it's usually individual. But it's, a lot of it's very much more individual. Yeah, in, individual producers, individual production, as opposed to group production of, of materials and stuff. Even if you had things, you know, overlapping. Um, and again, you know, the furries and anthros face the same kind of stigmas uh, that you know, it's we, it's it's you know, weird por- pornography for weirdos and degenerates. It is interesting that like. I guess you could say that the, the language of, you know, erotic material in like Western circles is very different from like the Eastern kind of language. Like obviously arrow manga, stuff like that. You have, you know, tentacle porn, stuff like that. The West, mm-hmm. you get stuff like inflation I mean, you still get that in, in a lot of Japanese. Well, it's definitely words. like oh, crossover. Yeah, you, you, abs- you absolutely, you absolutely do. Um, and um, I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you can literally look at Tezuka for like furry shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Boggy is it? It is an example that, uh, and I don't know more. I think more people should probably cite in these sorts of discussions because <laughs> uh, holy hell. Um, but then you, I mean, there, there's, there was crossover even like in like early North American fandoms between anime and furry with um, Fred Patton, and, you know, stuff like that. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's definitely uh, like that cross ex- um, exchange of information, um, but there's definitely like a lineage you can kind of trace within these circles of like mm-hmm. where one kind of developed more of the thing than the other, and then like it kind of crossed over into another kind of circle. They are, yeah. They 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 can also they also do differentiate themselves, of course, yeah. I guess the 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 significance of I guess I don't know the early internet culture, but like you know late nineties, early two thousand internet culture in terms of the at least in terms of on I, I, again it's not, not something I've I've looked at with great uh, detail, but it's definitely something I, I will be that the expansion and growth of of anthro of the the furry kind of corresponds to the growth uh, dis- and dissemination of hentai in the same kind of online spaces. Like I, I guess what I'm thinking of is something like web comics, um, like mm. the keen spot era of web comics when anyone and everyone was producing them. Um, you have a lot of people making in jokes about hentai. Um, there is, for example, there's a, uh, a web a web cartoonist I've been following since like they they're still doing it they've been doing it for over twenty years now. Uh, it's uh, Randy Maholland. Uh, he writes a, a comic called Something Positive. Um, hmm. At some point, I can't remember exactly what what year it was. He came up with like a, a merchandise he was selling, and one of them was I'm hentai, and it's a little kid that's dressed up in like a tentacle outfit that has like panties pinned to it. <laughs> but it's kind of so it's like I'm hentai. Um, and the, the fact that it had kind of disseminated, like it had disseminated kind of beyond anime circles or perhaps, you know, everyone who read who, every, people who were producing web comics were obviously heavily influenced who were almost certainly largely anime fans or manga fans themselves. But I kind of feel like there is this crossover, um, because it, it was gestating and promulgating at the same, in the same spaces at the same time. That there is uh, that there are these really interesting parallels between the dissemination of of hentai and the growth of places like X hentai, E hentai, um, and places like Fur Affinity um, and the sort of like the anthropomorphic. What's the one with the numbers in the name E six five three something along those mm-hmm. fucking lines? They're producing materials and disseminating materials of the, of a similar nature at the same time. And there's a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of crossover in in those expressions, and it just just so happened that in North America, it was the the anthrop the anthro the, the 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 furry stuff or yif as it's called. Um, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> got to use a technical term here. Technical term. Yeah. So let's use the language of their people. Mm-hmm. And and the, the idea that like in anime in, in you know contempt you know current uh, you know anime fandom discourse. Um, there is still like this, you know, like you, you, you just, you know, I, I watch hentai and tentacle stuff and that's fine, but you're a degenerate furry and it's a joke and it's a meme, but there's still kind of like this. Um, I mean, there is conflict between these two communities abs- online. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess there doesn't have to be, we can, we, we can, we can, uh, all, all, we can all get along. We, we can all get along and have our particular, mm-hmm. uh, proclivities in terms have of our, the erotic have, content that's being produced and consumed weird shit people are into that's right fine but that's the thing like everyone's into it <laughs> yeah everyone's fucked at some point mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as it's erotic anything goes <laughs> as long as you're presuming it's drawn yes this is all all, all in the case of uh, animation and 
uh, drawn material. Do not take this out of context <laughs> to say that we're saying something else. Yeah, this, Jesus oh, Christ. This is, this is again Nag- Nag- Nagayama and Rito speaking in historically contextualized context of arrow manga and uh, arrow anime and eroge and, and not uh, real life because uh, again um, when you when you read the critical literature. Uh, the literature that's um, doesn't like uh, hentai that's beyond like, you know, the orientalizing stuff that was coming out in like the nineties. It's, it's basically just trying as hard as it can to equate hentai and pornography. And hmm. while there obviously is overlap and, you know, to the point where, you know, um, one of the, one of the marketing aspects of uh, even in Japan, but in North America as well was having, you know, like adult film stars providing the voice work for, you know, dubs. Um, mm. e- even though there's that, the industry for hentai is not built on the same kind of exploitation and potential for exploitation that, you know, um, live action, let's call it uh, pornography is. Uh, yeah. So as much as, as, you know, as degrading and as misogynistic as the texts and the, the animation can be, and let's not kid ourselves, obviously it can be, the, from the production side, the, the exploitation uh, is just the exploitation that is capitalism, uh, capitalist production, as opposed to capitalist production plus uh, human misery, <laughs> Or, or yes. at least sexual exploitation it, it, that that's you know rife of, of actual people yeah. yeah which which not not necessarily always bad but mm-hmm. the, that industry is certainly rife with its own problems yeah and but it's sort of like hent hentai is not beholden to that kind of concern with human like direct human exploitation that pornography is and so while mm-hmm. it, while it is obviously pornography and pornographic. There are different, if you're looking at it from an ethical lens um, or even a legal lens, there are different productive forces at work and conditions at work that make one effectively significantly less problematic than the other. Mm -hmm. But you still then have people who are anti-pornography looking at something like hentai and being like, well, because we know that pornography is exploitative and misogynistic and uh, leads to, you know, suffering and all kinds of other things, then this animated form also obviously does the same thing. Um, And I I think there's actually really interesting uh, theoretical reasons as to why that's uh, the case and not why why someone could look at like a, like a hentai and be like, you know, that's as bad or worse than actual pornography, even though it's drawn, there's, there, there are, uh, you know, again, there's some interesting theory as to why, people are able to equate them uh, mm-hmm. now versus, you know, 20, 30, 40, you know, maybe 40 years ago where it wouldn't have, it would, the, the delineation would have been much more rigid. I guess the, I guess playing devil advocate, it's not necessarily that it's like exploitative. So it's not like wrong in a moralistic sense in that regard. But I guess mm-hmm. like the idea is like, it blurs the lines of like what is appropriate and what is not. Um, in a way that maybe like the real poor quote unquote real porn industry doesn't necessarily have. So like if it's like My Little Pony adult animation or something like that's obviously made by adults for adults, but there Mm -hmm. is still that kind of blending of like these are characters that are made from a children's cartoon. It is like 
you know, it is something to be enjoyed by the family, but it is something that children are is targeted with children in mind. Um, and they are able to kind of look these things up through the ease of access of the information. Like that's the sort oh, of thing that blends like kind of blurs that line, I guess, more so than like if they look up actual pornography, because it's like more, mm-hmm. I guess, quote unquote, insidious is the idea, I guess, is the uh, way to put it. Yeah. And uh, 100 percent. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's almost indisputable at this point. Um, I guess where. I guess that fundamentally the issue of in that case, capacity then is going to be something like ease of access as right. opposed to the fact that the content exists because the content has always existed. So I mentioned way, way back uh, the idea of a Tijuana Bible. Um, and I guess for, for people who aren't familiar with, again, listeners who might not be familiar with that term, a, a Tijuana Bible was effectively a, uh, a pornographic a comic book that was made based on licensed you know, characters in like the 1920s and 1930s. So like Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Popeye, Olive Oil, um, you know, kind of cl- classic cartoon characters that would be put into pornographic situations, like what would basically be R34 now, except in a, you know, a printed and distributed uh, format. Right. Again, always unofficial. But I guess from like the, the media, the medium that that pattern of production and consumption has always has always existed. Yeah. And even uh, I guess pe- e- people even like the real space. Right. Because like you had, you know, porn parodies of like Beauty and the Beast as far back as like the 80s or 70s. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it's not like this was like a new thing, even within like not at all. the adult spaces. Yeah. And it's it's just that it's, you know, ease of access in the way that an Internet searches work. And again, so to that, I would say, again, as a parent, uh, that that is kind of on you. You can, to cert- to some extent, curate your children's access to content. Um, it might take a little bit of effort. Um, and again, as, as you know, children get as children age and they become more um, clever, <laughs> f- clever, f- familiar with uh, technology, you know, the, the technology, comfortable familiar with technology and yeah, become more, te- more, more, more media savvy, so to speak. That obviously is going to be a more significant concern. But again, there there are I guess there are controls and things that you can do to mitigate that exposure but I, I do think that it is a, a, certainly a, a significant concern. And a lot of the literature on, on the topic very often comes down to – because there, there, there's, there are no – there's no smoking gun. There's no study that has conclusively shown that there's – you know the consumption of pornography leads to things like increase in sexual assaults, increase in that. Right. There's, it always falls back to the potential for harm – uh, this kind of like it could cause harm because it could do things like normalize certain expressions or normalize certain beliefs or normalize. And that, again, falls back on, you know, specific um, hegemonic media theories and the way that people think or under the way that people believe media works versus perhaps the way that it might work in, in a different capacity. And one of the things that's kind of encouraging is that media studies and media theory is something that is now becoming part of the um, like I, I, for example, I, I have a again. I'm in, I'm in, in Toronto and Ontario and Canada, um, and I have uh, you know my daughter was uh, just finished grade uh, two, going to grade three. They have media studies, like they 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 do study media, hmm. and that's, that's not really something that I had when I was uh, you know going to school, you know when I was in dinosaur ages. But 
<laughs> um, so there, there is at very least, at, uh, I guess, from the, the perspective of like, you know, the state and public, public school curricula, um, an understanding that, you know, <clears throat> children need to have some kind of, you know, understanding of, of media and how it affects uh, them. And because we know we're, we're you know, hyper saturated, like hyper media effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't want to dismiss the, the concern of the potential, the potential for harm that, that certainly can and does exist, especially in, like I said, I can understand why someone who is like an anti, anti-pornography crusader would look at something like, you know, rule 34 and, and like MLP uh, erotics materials that fans produce and be like, this is a pipeline to try to get, it's kind of like, well, it's not, but I can understand why you would think that. And I can understand mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the potential for a kid finding that and then being like, what do they do in a twilight sparkle? Yeah. Um, well, we've been going for probably close to like three hours now yeah. looking at my recording. So, uh, I think it's probably a good time to like, like, uh, sign off then. Yeah. It works for You'll me. Have to, do you have we'll any, have to f- uh, anyone have any uh, closing remarks? Um, if, if I could just offer one, one suggestion, yeah, go ahead. one, one piece of, of advice, as I said, um, I, I think that if, there, there's no harm um, and you're good, have the great possibility and potential for increasing your development and appreciation for a medium that you're going to spend a great deal of your life consuming that you owe it to yourself. Uh, I think you have the, the, the opportunity to have perhaps a more, uh, a better experience, a more interesting experience. Uh, if you engage with the media critically and you kind of take the media form seriously. It doesn't mean you can't have fun with it, because certainly you can, but stay curious, I, I guess, would be the, if I could offer one, one piece of advice, is, you know, be curious and, and have an inquiring mind about the media you consume, even uh, the erotic and the, the pornographic, because if you do, there might be something there that's a lot more interesting than you perhaps thought at, uh, at first blush. No, yeah. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well... Uh, Richard, thanks for uh, for coming well, on. Thanks, uh, as always. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Greatly appreciated, gents. Yeah, I can't. Uh, as always, uh, I don't know. You can listen to us on. Oh, we have Spotify an outro now. We're not just gonna cut off. I, I I have. Well, I don't know. I don't. Do, are people aware that we're on? Like, yeah, we're on like Apple. Well, I think we're on any podcast platform. We're on every on single one of them. I upload to RSS. Yes, yeah, so, it just uploads everywhere. Um, whatever the hell you use, we're on. If you it. use Deezer. We're on that. You use iHeartRadio. We're on that. Pandora. <laughs> there you go. Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts. Pandora still around? Podcast Index. Listen Notes. Samsung Podcast. Amazon Music. <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> Firefox. Castbox. Pocket Cast. Pod Notes. Widget. Bullhorn. Podbeam. Podcast Guru. Microsoft Bingbot. Dotbot. Deezer Podcast. Overcast Feed Parser. Safari. Stitcher. Chromecast Device. Googlebot. Overcast, Downcast, Antenna Pod. <laughs> so many of these. And YouTube. We're literally on all these things. I don't know what half of this shit is. Uh, I've never even heard of what's a pod bean. <laughs> Bingbot? There's like at least like two people listening on Bingbot. Hi. Uh Google Bot. <laughs> fuck I, I don't know what the fuck half this shit is. But we're on it. Find us there. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>